What's one book you guys have read that was just an absolute torture to get through? Like, as in, because it's so scary or because it was horrible? I'm going with horrible and it's yeah. the scarlet fucking letter. Oh, Ooh. dude, I fucking hate that, that book. That book was, it was, oh, it was painful. Like yeah. in, in this movie we're about to talk about, they said books can't hurt you. Guess what? They can hurt you. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of 18th century, 19th century books, actually. Scarlet Letter was... I mean, there was some remember. good ones, but the Scarlet Letter was just... It was like a fucking lifetime special that like got bumped out into so four boring. episodes instead of one movie. Did you have to read that one in school? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think we all did, right? Yep. I read Moby Dick. That book was also super boring. Oh, I love Moby Dick. There was great parts in it, except for when it's like 300 pages of whale anatomy. I love that part. Oh, I, I learned so much about whales. Yeah, probably out of dated shit though, or out of date shit. Out oh, of it's dated. probably out of date. But you know what? At the time, I felt like a smart motherfucker. Cutting edge, nineteenth century whale material. <laughs> Isn't a dork a whale dong? Uh, they did not touch on that in Moby Dick. Hmm. They didn't touch on that. Oh, <laughs> we are adults. <laughs> I believe that if I were to pick, I got two books for you. Um, kind of along the same line of Garrett's thought, Pride and Prejudice is an absolute abysmal read, at mm. least for me. Never read it's it. It's like those Victorian authors. I don't know if it was a Victorian age. I really just made that up because it sounded good. But Yeah, good enough. It was, Mark's never even read the book. <laughs> I never made it through. It was an assignment that I never made it through. I cheated and did the cliff notes to get through it. It's like the, the author had the idea that I'm going to use every word that I can think of in the English language. It's going to be real descriptive. Yeah, that was Nathaniel Hawthorne style. Yeah. They got paid by the letter. Yeah. Pretty much. And yeah, I think it's a, just an awful book and even right. the movies are hard to get through. Fair enough. Um, second book, The Bible. Ooh, hot take. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Reading That's the Bible. That's not a hot boring. take. There's a lot of people <laughs> who have that take. Talk about something that I was forced to read and never wanted to every single Did time. Did you get the cliff notes? Yeah, it's called Go to Church. You're supposed to read the Bible from cover to cover? Well, I don't know if I was supposed to, but they were always, it was always encouraged. Okay. And, and then, lo, John begat Mark and Mark begat Garrett. Oh, that part was boring as fuck. There's some devious stories in the Bible. But maybe I was rooting for the wrong people. <laughs> I think you were. What about you? Um, oh, I was going to say Moby Dick and anything written by William Faulkner. Any single book that he's written is... Welcome to Literary Talk. Yeah. Uh, welcome back to Book Talk. Is exhausting. What's the one where that man just went out in the woods and just started writing about nature? Like it was that's Henry Thoreau. David that's Thoreau. Thoreau, David Thoreau. Yeah. yeah, talk about some boring shit. Yeah. He goes on and on about ants for a while. Well, when you're, I see, I actually enjoyed that because he's got like a poetry style to his his writing that I really I, I liked. Uh, I yeah, I'm gonna say Faulkner and Moby Dick. Those Even though wrong. Moby Dick encouraged me to go whale watching, so it's, something good came out of it. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> He's like, I need to see these whales in person if someone's going to write this much about them. Thoreau encouraged me to pour ants all over myself. I think you misread. Ins oh. Instructions unclear. <laughs> ants in dick now. I figured as bunch of a nerds you guys are and as how much like backstory you don't really care for sometimes, I figured you guys would have picked the Cimmerillion. Oh, I read three pages of that and turned it in. Oh, yeah. That I book. sold it. I read that thing. And yes, it, there are some like fucking like confusing ass parts, but there are some epic stories in that fucking Any thing. Any book that I need to start making flowcharts for has lost me. Oh, see, I love that kind of <laughs> shit. Yeah. Uh, Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. Never read like it. Oh, I enjoy, I enjoy the. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Granted, at some point you got to say <laughs> take a breath, but. Yeah. Amazon is making a show out of that. So I wonder how that's going to go. Um, yeah, I started the first book, The Wheel of Time, and just like two pages in, I was like, nope. 
If I got to uh, go through a history lesson before you get to the meat of your book, then I'm probably going to yeah. tune out. Before Fantasy I get books there. are big on that. Was it yeah. Sword of Truth or Wizard's dear, First Rule or whatever? We are actually illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey. it's true. I've never read a book in my life. I'm just guessing. Wikipedia says a dork is a whale penis, so take that home with you today. Glad that we and got to the rounded back to the beginning. <laughs> Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk Podcast. My name is Mark, and again, join with Jarrett and Dawn. Are you okay, Jarrett? <laughs> I'm dying. I'm choking on my own rage. Um, <clears throat> sorry about that. Too much dork. Too much dork. Oh, boy. <laughs> Get the dork out of here your mouth. We We're doing a podcast here. I'm doing great other than almost dying on the podcast. Okay. Well, thank you, Jarrett. It's Gone, Garrett. how are you doing? Oh, it's been so long, I forgot your names. Oh, boy. Um... I'm doing fine. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm glad to be back, uh, you know, dropping these hot takes. The shoulder shrug and the head back and forth. They're like, I guess I'm doing fine. Just kind of yeah. really sold it. I'm, you know, I'm existing. It's summertime. It's fucking hot. Yes. And, uh, August is the worst month for Texas. Oh, dude. It's like, yeah, I, I thought feel like July was kind of mild, to be honest. Yeah, but it was only this, like 103, yeah. you know. Oh, my God. Welcome back to old man talk. Oh, for Faulkner books and this damn heat. Am I right? <laughs> So yeah, anyway, July is such a heat? terrible... Oh, are there any news? Did you guys see any news or new things? Did Some, you see any news? Let's see. I saw Van Helsing for the first time. Starring Wolverine. Starring Wolverine. It's Jack like Wolverine Hugh, in the past. Hugh Jackman. Almost yeah. said Hugo Weaving. That would have been a great movie. Uh, I guess it's horror adjacent because it's got well, monsters. it's monsters, so yeah. it counts. Um, it was awful when I saw it the first time in 2000. It's awful in 2019 as I well. I figured it would I think be. you did not see it in 2000, unless you saw it four years before everybody else. Is it really I'm 2004? Pre- I'm pretty sure it came out in 2004. What, what, I wanted to like this movie so bad, uh, but it's just trash. Don't watch it. It's also like seven hours long. So don't watch it, and it's really long, and it's... Because, uh, you know, we were talking about how I wish there were more adventure movies, and I was like, oh, this is an adventure movie, a la The Mummy, but it's an adventure in tedium. Yeah, that uh, their depiction of Frankenstein's monster was just so weird. Yeah, I didn't, and Dracula and everything really was just terrible about it. That's enough about that movie. It's got Kate Beckinsale in it. That part was great, actually. <laughs> Boo. What? You don't like Kate Beckinsale? No, she was from Underworld, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no. Nothing against her personally. I just don't care for her act. She, the, the choices she's made as an actress don't do anything Have for you me. heard her Transylvanian accent? No. It's incredible. I'm I, I was in Transylvania when, uh, you know, she spoke. It was uh, Underworld that led my crush to that woman. Oh, I can see why. Um, so, you know what? But I like Underworld. It's not enough to carry. I haven't seen it in 20 years, but I'm sure it's probably not great. No, probably not. I watched a, I watched a movie that's almost 100 years old. It came out in 1922. It was shot in 1920. It's called Haxon. Haxon. Have you guys ever seen Haxon? I, it's been on my Plex server for, I don't know, about 100 years, and I've never got around <laughs> to watching it. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. I think you guys are going to like it a lot. It's a Swedish-Danish documentary um, silent film. Yep. And it talks about the craze of witch hunts that happened in the mid-15th century. You mean like the thing that's going on with Trump? No, no. Uh, actual, a real witch hunt. Real got witch Got it, hunts. got it. Uh, and just how people, they would let their um, superstition, the superstition would get the better of people, and they would just start persecuting all these women um, at the drop of the hat. Yeah, it's a good right? thing we've evolved since then. Oh, I know. <laughs> this documentary estimated some 8 million people were persecuted and murdered in the name of, you know, wish haunts and stuff. 
It's Oof. it's really well done. They have people dress up and do all these kind of demon rituals. And they talk about how witches would get together and kiss the ass of Satan. So there's like actual like Satan sticking his ass out and these women are running up and smooching his butt. Wow. Um, what a yeah. film. It's really good. You guys should check it out. To It's it's fascinating yeah. almost in a historical sense watching something this old also. That's pretty cool. It's really good. So recommended. Check it out. Cool. I also watched Puppet Master 4. Ooh. I'm almost done with that series. Is it still puppety? Yeah. Number four is not very good though. I think you've been saying that about the last, I don't know, (laughs) seven of them. I told you I was going to finish it. Recently, Full Moon, the studio responsible for that, started their own streaming service. That's what we need. A Puppet Master streaming service. I signed up for a year. Wow, Mark, you're the reason why there's so many fucking <laughs> streaming services. It's, can we can we do the Looney Tunes thing where we basically superimpose a lollipop over Mark? Because, <laughs> sir, you are a full-on sucker. <laughs> wow, we got somebody. Sig- somebody in Austin <laughs> signed up for this shit. We got one! So for 60 bucks, you get a full year subscription. $60? Oh, my God. $5 a month, man. That's not that bad. I signed up because they also, they're doing a promotional deal. If you do a full year, you get $50 credit in their store. So I, I know how 50 bucks. Okay. So you actually pay $10. Stuff, he wants to buy a Puppet Master figure is what this is. No, those are too expensive. That's $600 for a full uh, you replica. You, you could stream Puppet Master for 10 years. Yeah. For what, that. Are you, what are you going <laughs> to buy for 50 bucks? I mean, you basically have access to their catalog on the streaming service. Well, maybe I want something on Blu-ray. Okay, yeah. You maybe Puppet know. Master 5 is the one. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I'm going to pick up. I've already got one and two on Blu-ray. They're not the ones that did Littlest Reich, though, right? Well, they licensed it out, but I That's not so. doing shit for it. it. Call me when Littlest Reich's got something going on. That's the Puppet Master I care about now. So it's 60 bucks for a year or six ninety nine per month. I feel like I made the better choice. Now, <laughs> I have two bad choices, yes. <laughs> Mark, this is the worst promo ad you've ever done. Full Moon. Now, part of the reason I did this is because they're they're putting out ten movies this year. Uh, ten called, Puppet Master movies? No, they're called oh. the Deadly Ten, and one of the movies is called Ouija's, where people are going to summon weed demons. That sounds interesting. Okay, right? are they called the Deadly Ten? Because after watching them, you'll want to die. Probably. <laughs> uh, Blade is getting his own spinoff movie called Blade: The Iron Cross. Okay. So they're going to start making singular Puppet Master puppet movies, apparently. I thought you meant Blade from Marvel. I was like, bullshit. They did not get a Marvel license, you idiot. <laughs> puppet Master puppet you, movies. You need to calm down with your insults over there. I'm Mr. just, I'm just calling I'm still, me idiot in your own A lot of head. anger. Oh, I'm no. still shocked that you spent 60 bucks on Full Moon's catalog streaming. Sorority Babes 2. That's what got him. That <laughs> one's coming. Uh, Subspecies 5. Bride of the Head of the Family. <laughs> These are all great Sub, films. Subspe- I, Famalian. The n- Grim Rapper. Come on. Don't you want to see The Grim Rapper? I'm more caught up that there have been five subspecies. I've never even heard of <laughs> subspecies one through four, but all right. Well, now you can sign up and watch them all. No, nah, I'm good. I wonder if there's even a subspecies one through four if they just started at five. Like, like a Leonard Part Six? Yeah. <laughs> the year is 1996. After the East Coast, West Coast rap hip-hop war leaves a notorious L.A. gangster rapper shot dead, the resurrected thug returns as a relentless killing machine hell-bent on revenge. He's the grim rapper. Oh, I'm sure that that's going to be uh, very reasonably done and not stereotypical and <laughs> insulting at all. No, Full Moon is known for their PC. <laughs> you, you, you just watch. Anyway, that's what I've been up to. Uh, if you like Puppet Master, there's a deal. Go get it. It is not a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett, what have you been up to? Sitting here like patience on a fucking monument waiting to talk about this movie. All right. We're here to talk about Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, the movie from 2019. 
This one was directed by Andre Overdahl. This uh, director has also one of my favorite films of the last 10 years, Troll Hunter. Subspecies 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you guys seen Troll Hunter? No. It was pretty good. You got to watch it, dude. Subspecies. It's so good. Um, it's basically a documentary style movie where they're hunting for trolls. Okay. Did they find um, them? It's, a, it's like a Swedish movie. It's the handy cam found footage style, uh, but it's how actually... How shaky are we talking here? Not, not very. Not super shaky. Not okay. as bad, like Cloverfield level shaky. It's not, not Cloverfield. T- or it's more shaky than Cloverfield? No, 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 no. It's no, less no, shaky oh, than Cloverfield. okay, okay. I was like, oh boy. All right, yeah. good. This guy, uh, Andre, also did the autopsy of Jane Doe. Oh, with, I feel like uh, we did see that. podcast favorite Brian Cox is in it. He plays the uh, mortician in that film. Love Brian Cox. Can't get yeah. enough of that. That one's on, uh, it was on Netflix when I saw it. It's really good. So if you're looking for a ghost uh, haunting type movie, the autopsy of Jane Doe is one you should check out. Uh, this one, Scary Story, stars Zoe Margaret Coletti, Estella, Michael Garza as Ramon, Gabriel Rush as Augie, Dean Norris as Roy, Gil Bellows as Chief Turner, Lorraine Toussaint as Lulu, Austin Zajur as Chuck, Natalie Ganshorn as Ruth, and Austin Abrams as Tommy. Currently on Rotten Tomatoes is sitting at 81% out of 158 reviews. Audience has it rated in as 72% out of 4,184. All right, here's the description of the film found on Rotten Tomatoes. It's 1968 in America. Change is blowing in the wind, but seemingly far removed from the unrest in the cities is a small town of Mill Valley where, for generations, the shadow of the Bellows family has loomed large. It is in their mansion on the edge of the town that Sarah, a young girl with horrible secrets, turned her tortured life into a series of scary stories. Written in a book that has transcended time, stories that have a way of becoming all too real for a group of teenagers who discover Sarah's terrifying tome. Oh, they got that alliteration worked yeah, in. Terrifying. Working that alliteration. Yeah. No unspeakable horrors, though. No, not yet. That'll be in the deep, uh, the Blu-ray cover. <laughs> yeah, this was a CBS Films, like like I think like the the TV station CBS. Huh. Like I think it was the same people. And I was like, wow, I guess they're not gone. I did see that pop up. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm guaranteed it's going to be on their streaming service oh, as soon course. as they announce it. So this one, if you're unaware, based on the book series by Alvin Schwartz, artwork by Stephen Gamble. There's a whole long history with that series, and there's a documentary you can check out now that just came out this year as well that kind of uh, details how the book was introduced, the impact it had on people more our age, I think, than maybe today, the struggles of the book staying on the shelves in the library and parents getting upset with the artwork and that kind of stuff. The stories themselves are kind of like a collection of folklore and, and uh, tall tales, but really yeah. what made Mark's actively books, holding the book right now, which is helpful for a vis- uh, an audio medium. <laughs> I mean, I'm not expecting anybody to look through their podcast to see it, but I'm just <laughs> the way it hold, he's holding it doesn't look, he's like using a prop. Like yeah. as you can see, <laughs> if you look at this page right here, exhibit a, um, <laughs> No, really, but what made, what made these stories, uh, give, gave the stories their longevity, I think it's got to be the artwork by Stephen Gamble. If you're not familiar, I'd recommend going and checking those out. Um, this particular movie has taken, I want to say, about five stories from the trilogy of books and put them into the movie. Do you guys have any um, history? John, do you have a history with nope. the, the books the books themselves? No, I don't think I even heard about them until this was movie this was Was it before your time or would you just miss it? I think I might have just missed it. I was much more of a Goosebumps uh, 
kid. Then that would have been before your time because Goosebumps was like the thing oh, after. Maybe that's it then. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I read like every Goosebumps book I could get my hands on. Somehow missed all these. Yeah, I think my younger brother was like, he was really, he read all the Goosebumps books. Yeah, those are legit. What's those up? Shout out like, to Arl Stein. Yeah, those things were like crazy popular too. Yeah, they were everywhere. Yeah, this is 1981 was oh. the first printing of Scary Stories. Um, Garrett, you picked these up a lot as a kid? Yes, I did. Well, as they came out at the book fair. Yeah. Scholastic, so, mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. that stuff. We get the Mad Libs book and get one of the scary stories. The only, th- the only thing we ever remember about it was the art. Yeah, that, again, that's where the staying power comes from. If you read them now, they're pretty tame. Yeah, no offense to Alvin Schwartz. I mean, he did an okay. He did a fine job for what he did, but it was very much like these are all stories you've kind of heard loose, you know, interpretations of throughout history, and then he kind of just put his own little like twist on them, and then the art just really set it out and. The one thing I was most upset about is every story did not get a picture. There was a lot that didn't actually have like a piece of art yeah. from Gamble. And I really would have loved to have seen his like take on some art for specific stories that we never got. So that was a little bit frustrating as like as the, the series went on. I think there was like three books. Yeah, three total. But there's people picking up the mantle. I know we've talked about this before on the podcast, but there's a, there's a book called Case Cold which is a collection of North American folklore and the very same uh, thing. I can't remember the artist who does the art, but it is exactly like Stephen Gamble's art. He did the cover and a bunch of art on the inside. So this this whole, I don't want to call it a trend, but this whole style is continuing to this day, which is kind of interesting, the staying power of that art style associated with these stories and how impactful it is. Yeah, I think it's fantastic that people are leaning into that and doing their own thing with it. I, I want to see more art in that style. Um, I would exist, dude. Get on Instagram and follow some of the artists that have similar styles and they'll start recommending. There's some crazy, creepy shit out there. It just... Maybe we can throw some examples on the Instagram. Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple I'll, I'll give to okay. you. Awesome. So um, the source material is targeted at a younger audience. Now, definitely. You guys were mentioning that you heard from some folks that they were disappointed in the film. Mostly online. I don't think I've heard yeah. anyone IRL, as the kids would say. <laughs> but uh, but on the on the tweet tube, it seems that people are upset. And why is that, do you think? Um, Because they read these stories when they were children, so they remember them being terrifying, and now they're adults, and they're like, oh, wait, this shit's for kids. That's and Nostalgia that, 101, though. Yeah. I think I think I'm like a broken record on this, but like, nostalgia's good and has its place, but the fact that people expect things, like, Star Wars fans, I'm talking to you. You've evolved. Your shit has changed. It's not going to be the same thing you remember from when you were fucking 10 years old. Like... That's just how it is, you know. Enjoy, yeah. enjoy the fact that we're still getting stuff in that vein. But yeah, the stuff I've heard too was people thought it was going to be catered to them at this age, and it's like, no, it's it was not gonna. It didn't evolve with you. I mean, it stayed the same. Right, you evolved. I'm impressed it was PG-13. Honestly, I'm surprised it wasn't a PG movie. I don't like, think they could have gotten away with PG with some of the the yeah, creepy imagery. I mean, they could have toned it down some though, and really shot for the children's like market. So they. It's imp- I think they did it. They split the difference. And I think they, I personally, it was someone with no history of this, thinks they did a good job. It was a good movie for an adult. And it obviously, you know, would have enticed children who are into horror to search for more horror. It's a great entry level horror flick. Um, I think kids seeing it will basically be like, ooh, I mean, this, this is enough to, to really creep you the fuck out and also kind of get you into the genre before you like jump balls yeah. deep in like the deep end of craziness. It did. It was a good movie. It was. It was edited well. It was paced pretty well. Um, at times, some of the acting is a little rough, but these are also Kids, kid actor. Yeah. But I mean, I think everyone delivered a good performance. Um, I mean, just overall, they did a good job. And especially taking a, a known property like this and doing it right, I thought they captured the feel of what these books would have felt like to us at that age. 
I think I, it sounds like we'd all recommend it here. Um, yeah, absolutely. I would definitely highly recommend it. And I think one of the things that people tend to forget um, when deciding what demographic these studios are targeting, and the one that's forgotten, at least in my opinion, is all ages. And uh, so many times I feel like adults automatically assume that all ages means kids only. And yeah. that's not what this is. This is not a kids only store. This is definitely an all ages. It can be enjoyed by all. Um, it's not gory to where it'd be a mature audiences only, but it does have enough of the, the scares, I think. And I would have no trouble showing this to a younger kid. You know, I wouldn't, yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, it gets like 10 or so. I don't know. It's just like a six year old, but, uh, well, okay. Maybe not that young. Sure. Uh, but yeah, this is definitely an all ages like film. A, yeah. So if you're strapping Billy, here's some nightmare fuel. <laughs> <laughs> if you're on the fence about it, just, you know, uh, set your expectations appropriately. Yeah. This is an all ages <laughs> film. It's not going to be, you know, saw. Right. Yeah, you're not watching the uh, the Conjuring. I think it was PG-13. So I don't know what. Yeah, Saw. I guess they didn't really make that many R movies. It. You're not watching it. You're watching scary stories. But that go. also kind of I feel was its effectiveness. Um, other than the fact of the thing that John, I know you're going to agree with me on this. The the music stings. The wham when something <laughs> jumps out. It's so fucking loud. I mean, like yeah. to the point where it was like, just in case this doesn't scare you, we're going to make you jump. Like. It was over the top with that those audio cues. Yeah, but and that's just modern horror, unfortunately. Yeah, it only happened like four times, which was fine. But with scary movies, especially since we started this podcast, I become desensitized to certain things. I mean, I'm not as freaked out by certain movies anymore. I see a poster and I'd be like, oh, fuck that. Now right. I'm kind of like, all right, let's give it a shot. This movie, when I got home, I was like, okay, we're turning on some lights. Like, I didn't want to walk through my upstairs without having a light on so I could mm. see the door frames because this captured what I find the scariest thing is just that random visual horror that, like, you know, seeing someone getting their arm ripped off is disgusting and makes me uneasy. But seeing a shape that's unnatural in a doorway is going to fuck me up way more than watching someone get cut open right. every single time. Like, the Jason kills are great. But there's nothing scarier than like turning around and seeing Jason standing in that doorway. That's the point that gets me the most. Yeah, the the blood and the gore isn't what really keeps you up at night, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? Otherwise, you're going to be scared by like doctor medical exam Do I suppose, you know, surgery videos. Yeah, those are pretty scary, though. I mean, getting your arm think, ripped off is pretty scary. Yeah. But I'm just saying like for right. me, it this really captured the, the core of horror. It really let your mind kind of do. I wish they would have shown a little bit more, but I guess they went with the, the vein of, you know... Let your um, imagination do the yeah. work. Show less, let the mind do the rest. Yeah. I think for me, like the scariest one was kind of a body horror one, though. The one that actually, the only one that really fucked with me was the uh, the spider one. I guess we'll get to. That one was, woof, I could not handle that. I hate anything like, uh, like my wife watches a show, Dr. Pimple Popper. I'm sorry. It's what? Yeah. There's a show that's all about popping pimples and other grotesque. Is this a gross... YouTube channel? No, it's on TLC. Oh my God. What the fuck? Yeah. It's called Dr. Pimple Popper on TLC and I cannot fucking, I can't even watch the commercials for the show. It's that like, I... please tell me a quick premise to this. And is it really just getting someone with a blackhead and squeezing it? No, and that's it's the episode? like huge growths. It's like people with like shit buried under their skin, I think. Yeah. And then they like, she yeah, pops it. It's like a oh. medical doctor oh okay but, well that sounds absolutely disgusting john and i wish i didn't know that existed oh it it, it is disgusting and i'm glad that i've tortured other people <laughs> with knowing it exists uh and that's what the, that particular story was the worst one by far for me in this film well uh since we're talking about the uh the the effects there and that one being pretty gross um i read that this one was 90 percent practical 
Huh. And only 10% CGI. The movie or the, that particular scene? The movie in general, um, which is pretty pretty awesome. Um, some of the things like the jangly man, I really thought was like, might have been a CG character, but they got a guy off Did the they camera. fast forward him or did he actually run that fast contorted? I bet they fast forwarded him. Because when he ran out of that police station, oh, I was like, fuck that yeah. noise. Yeah, his name is Troy James, um, and he's done a couple of other horror things. He was actually on um, America's Got Talent. Oh, that's kind of cool. where he was discovered, I think. Hello, my name is Troy James. And um, what do you do for a living? I work in human resources. Okay. <laughs> so what will you be doing for us today? You'll see. Wow, Mark just showed us a video of that guy on America's Got Talent, and that was insane. I, I now believe it was 90% practical. That guy's amazing. He is yeah. the jangly man. Troy James, man. Go look him up on YouTube. Watch his, uh, watch his America Got Talent video. It's, uh, it's nuts. So, yeah. Also, the, uh, the woman, uh, the corpse of the big toe was played by a, a really thin man made up practically. I can Javier see that. Bordet. So yeah, this movie was heavy on the uh, practical effects, which I really appreciated. I, there wasn't any effects that made me go, oh, you know, Uncanny Valley style, that's not real. Um, except for maybe the big woman, like close up of her face. Yeah, there was a few people laughing in the theater behind us when they, they closed in, but I was like, I was not laughing. I was like, no. oh no. For if me, I saw she, anything with proportions like that, I'd be like, and we're out. She was the most uh, disturbing thing for me. I was hoping for a little more of a payoff when she got close. Just kind of absorbing him into herself, which I mean, we'll talk about the plot, but like, yeah. you know, these are really what we're here for. Yeah. These scenes and these stories. But when she just kind of absorbs, um, Chuck gets absorbed into her, like she's just sitting there smiling. There's no there's no movement to her expression. I think that's what makes it so creepy. Well, yes, up until the point when she got there, when she was hugging him, I was like, now make her smile like toothy or something. Like, give me something that shows that we've now gone to the Fair enough. Creepy aspect of it. But she just absorbs them, and it's very just kind of matter-of-fact, and it's like, oh, bye. The acting's good. The sound's good. The the setting's good. Love the setting. The, was there Great. anything that really pulled you out of this film while you guys were watching it? Uh, well, I mean, man, it really hammers you over the head that it's the 60s. Oh, fucking You are going to know it's the 60s. There's Nixon signs. There's everything. Driving. Anything you could possibly associate with the 60s, except for the Beatles, because I assume they couldn't afford them, <laughs> is shoved into this movie. Uh, like, nom footage galore. Which is I weird, because they had real stuff like Nixon and things like that, but when they showed, like, her reading uh, Famous Monsters, it was Famous Creatures. Yeah. There was a lot of knockoff things. Licensing. Like, like, you're like, oh, did you avoid the license, or could you not get it? Yeah, but that'd be interesting to find out. But they, they should have used the original. Made thirty million. They only had a thirty million dollar budget, so that's a really million. low budget yeah. for a, a film like this. So they probably didn't want to waste it licensing, you know, prop like background material. It would have been nice, but that's my guess. I mean, we get the point. We know what famous yeah. creatures was supposed to be, so it's not like we lost anything out of it. But um, it was just kind of funny. I was like, those like a little things that were just slightly off from what they were supposed to be. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything that I could knock the movie for other than it, on the second viewing, I saw it twice, um, that it felt a little long. Weird flex, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> I saw it twice, bros. Uh, no big deal set to this motherfucker. Deal. I mean, as we're going to get into the plot, I think there was too much plot. I think there was too much plot at the end. Yeah. Fucking I think at the, the end, they were like, brown over here, but they were just like quickly <laughs> like, oh, quick, give them the messages. And it was like, okay, we yeah. got it. Like I, there had to be a frame story, obviously. Like, so that's fine. But they that, spent yeah. so much time in the frame story where it's like, this isn't what we're here for. At like, the end, they were like, oh, we got to close this frame story out. Yeah. And they really like burn through it and kind of push some stuff down your throat real quick. They should have had, I think like if they had like one more story in there, that would have helped the ratio some. I think if the, the connecting story 
had actually been its own creepy story. Oh, that, that could have been, been cool. cool too. Yeah. Like, like a scary stories inception type thing where it's like, you think the frame story, like all the, the scary stuff is happening contained yeah. within the frame story. But then you actually realize the frame story is part of one of those stories to a degree. Or if they would have just owned it like creep show and just said, you're just going to get three or four short films essentially. So that was going to be my question. You guys, this being an anthology type series, how did you feel about them actually building a narrative around it rather than presenting it as an anthology movie? I think, I mean, I guess we just touched on that. I liked it. I honestly, I thought it was cool. Because I, again, other than like the kind of force the message of the frame story on you at the very end, I liked the frame story. I thought it worked really well, but... Standard haunted house stuff, you know, like it's not, it's not wholly original, but I thought it was well done. Yeah. I mean, I had no problems with it, except it was just a little much. They do that thing where they make the bad guy a sympathetic character. Yeah. And for what we were seeing, everything felt very much like against their will, like, oh, this sucks for everybody. And then to have like the main bad person, which we can talk about when we talk about the plot, kind of be like, oh, well, boohoo for them too. Even though they're bad, you know, it was kind of like, I thought we could have just had like a a creepy, evil, uh, malevolent monster slash force slash whatever. The binding story, the the overall story kind of like made it like this, like no one's at fault. And it's like, okay. But I feel like a lot of times when you when we see these ghost stories presented to us, the ghost usually is a sympathetic character, right? Like that's the a good reason, point. Good point. That's true. Yeah, the reason they're hanging around in our realm is because they were wronged in some way, you know. So I, I don't know. No, that's fair. Okay, you know what you you're absolutely right. So it's not it's not off as far as par for the course, but I just didn't think it was necessary. What there the, was enough that was already kind of like. You yeah. know, us on their side already. We didn't need to like lose the one thing that was like super scary. Because once we found that out, I was like, okay, there's no threat here. Yeah. The frame story reminded me of the grudge. That's what I told Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's just another grudge retelling. The American kids version. Yeah, pretty much. Of the grudge. Um, well, I got a quote here from Guillermo because he was asked, why wasn't this an anthology movie? He said that if anthology movies are always as bad as their worst story, they're never as good as their best. So that was his decision to make an actual rapper story around the well, actual the movie scary stories. Just as bad as the rapper story, though. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet him. See what he says. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's got a point. That's a cop-out answer. I, I couldn't make four good films, so... Oh, no, no. Come on, dude. No, that's not the case. I mean, these were all solid for what they were. I mean, there were some weaker ones. But that's a good point, though. As an anthology... Because when I think of Creep Show, I think of the stupid Stephen King plant thing. Really? And I'm like, the cockroach story. The Moss Man story. But see, I like that. But the thing is, is like, as much as I like the other stuff that happened, all I can think about is that one bad one that I was like, ugh, this one. Hmm. So I think with doing that, it kind of, the, the frame story shoulders the burden. Yeah, I, I can see that. If if you really hate one particular anthology story in a in a movie like that, yeah. your mind immediately goes to that one first, right? Oh, no. I just try to push that one away. <laughs> I never think of the fucking moss John, story. Like, put the bad thoughts away. Yeah, I just push it down into the ulcer. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to expand on that a little bit, he also said that um, when he decided not to make it an anthology story, he's like, well, what am I going to do? in terms of the story. And he actually grabbed something out of his film, The Pan's Labyrinth. I did like that film. um, Apparently, it's been a while since I've seen it. I remember liking it a lot. But there was a book called The Book of Crossroads where it was writing itself in Pan's Labyrinth. I don't remember that, but he said that's kind of where they got the idea for the scary story. I'll take his word for it. (laughs) That was a really cool effect, too, when the book was writing itself and she was tearing out pages and it kept like continuing where it left off like on the next page. Like she'd tear it out and then like the story would just continue writing 
on the next page. I'm guessing that, that was some a of great the... effect. Like that was like that really unnerved me. Yeah, and it's so inconsequential to everything. It was just kind of like I was like, holy shit, that's fucked up. Yeah. It's probably some of the CG. That was probably one of the CG <laughs> effects for sure. All right, anything else to say before we jump into the plot? Oh, let's let's fucking dive in. All right, here's your spoiler warning. We're getting into the film now. Cannonball. <laughs> so this movie kicks off. It's Halloween, and uh, we're getting introduced to our main characters, and they're all getting prepared for uh, a trick-or-treating event. Right. Well, two of them are. One of them is like, I'm not going. Right. Stella is like, oh, we're too old for this. However, Augie and uh, Chuck. Chuck. Augie Chuck. and Chuck, um, they're, they're getting into the spirit of the Halloween things, and there's some scenes of them getting their costumes ready. One of them is a is a puro. He's right? a clown. He's a clown. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so the 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 character, the puro, and they're all homemade costumes. Obviously, probably didn't have store bought costumes in the sixties yet. I don't know when that started. I'm sure they did, but they were probably pretty rare. Yeah, um, Chuck is his mother had made him a Spider Man costume. Oh, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> he was supposed to be Spider Man, and she made him a spider costume, like the the arachnid. So think of like a spider body with only four arms instead of eight, <laughs> and he, he just looked ridiculous. What was the mo- what was it? What the mom said he was like he's like be happy God provided. Yeah, she's like be happy God provided, and I was like whoa. I was like mom, you just butchered his costume, and you're just like don't anger God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that would play a bigger role, but that never came up ever again. I thought the family was going to be much yeah. more integral to these stories, and they were quickly out the window. Yeah. But you guess this classic kid movie thing, write yeah. the parents out, pretty much. Even Dean Norris, probably the biggest very, yeah. name in this film, has very little to do. He's Stella's dad, um, and we'll touch on her family life in a little bit. But well, what's happening here is is Chuck is using a, a fish scooper to get a turds fish, out a of a toilet. Net. Yeah, he's yeah. to get fish net, out yeah. of a fish tank. And you're just like, what is he doing? And uh, well, I didn't know he was on the he's on a walkie talkie. They're doing the Stranger Things walkie talkie communication between the kids. And he's in the bathroom holding this fishing like this fish net. And I was like, there's no way this dude's sitting on a fucking toilet with a fish net. And then he's all like, don't worry, we got it. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy's going to fish a turd out of the, the sure I did not know for what at the time. But I was all like, what is this kid's problem? And then they kind of explain it. Yeah. Now, since you touched on the walkie talkie thing. Garrett, did you actually have walkie-talkies as a kid that would actually have range that could communicate with your friends? I did have walkie-talkies, and they range from my room to the living room. Yeah. yeah. The range that these movies per, like want us to believe is so unbelievable. It's like military, industrial, <laughs> fucking... There, especially and there the were walkie-talkies that did that, but they were expensive. Yeah, they were like $300 It's not something you bought kids. No, And I don't not. believe they're readily available in 1968. Maybe Stranger Things could pull it off in the 80s, but I'm not believing that industrial fucking walkie-talkies were something you run to the corner store and get in I the late the walkie talkies and stuff that they because Vietnam is happening or yeah sure. Vietnam is happening in this movie and um like you look at the walkie talkies they use in Vietnam versus what these kids were using they're like there is a big discrepancy here <laughs> so but I mean it didn't really pull me out but I totally believe yes they are overselling the per, like uh, how common walkie talkies were in it's the past. a really good plot premise plot you know concept to basically use walkie talkies as a communication device without having to be on the phone yeah. tied down to a location. And it is kind of like old school. Think about the kids nowadays. They probably have not even seen walkie talkies right. like that. So they're probably like, oh, that's got to be the 60s. You know how I know walkie talkies weren't prevalent in the past? If you watch things that actually were filmed in the past, there are not walkie talkies fucking everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's like it was point. the 70s. They had CB radios. Yeah. 
Like yeah. if you're watching whatever Last Starfighter, they weren't all rocking walkie talkies on their hips. It's like, the rose tinted glasses, right? Of uh, that era. It's like, oh, yeah. we all had walkie talkies back then. No, we didn't. <laughs> well, it feels like people who weren't alive back then were like, how do you think people talked to one another? Fucking had, had to be like, walkie talkies. Should have had cans on a string. Yeah, that would be <laughs> more believable. Like um, just to touch, since we're talking about how this is in the sixties, um, the reason they chose to do this was a couple things. Um, they wanted to get away from having to explain away internet cell phones in that style of talking, you know, basically of every course. horror movie these days now has to get past that barrier, yep. um, as to why the characters aren't able to utilize things that could get them out of situations. The other one was to draw a comparison of the political climate we're in today with that of the uh, 60s. They really, that became apparent right away. Tricky like some dick, way, that's no name for a president. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of like very similar, like, again, some of the messages in this, it seemed like it was like, okay, this is a good backdrop. I can see the yeah. comparison. No big deal. At the end, they really kind of hammered that home. I guess that's if you think that the audience is children, that's generally how children's stories go. So it's probably very heavy handed to us. But if you're like 10 or 12 or I guess theoretically 13, the minimum age, you're allowed to watch this movie. Maybe that's just I didn't think it detracted from the story, but it definitely was kind of like it was very obvious they were pushing that. Yeah, uh, I I read a few interviews uh, regarding the why they did the 60s. And a lot of it also had to do with like the 60s was a time that the country was in chaos with the war it was when the people started to come out of the i guess if you want to say more innocence of just completely believing what their government was telling them you know is it in the best interest for us so it's almost kind of like a coming of age story for america if you will like Mm -hmm. learning that our government has been lying to us about certain things seems wildly irrelevant to this movie though (laughs) (laughs) because one of the main important themes of this is how lies can be misinterpreted and harm people Right. We're going to find out that the Sarah Bellows story, like everyone believes a lie that she was the one that committed the atrocities that killed all the people in the town. You know, way to fucking spoil it, Mark. uh, Stella, our main female lead, like everybody believes that her mother left because of her and she believes it herself, which is also not true. So it's kind of tying in with that thematic. uh, You say that stories have power. Stories have power. And that's actually that kind of, (laughs) that kind of dialogue and narration is, is peppered at the very beginning and in the middle. It's all like, at the beginning, it's all like, you know, stories have power. They can hurt. They can heal. And that comes back at the end. That's kind of the bookend message. And then in the middle though, you also have like, even lies can basically like have power. And that's when we find out the cerebellos thing, which I was very upset for the reasoning behind that. (laughs) I was like, Oh, I, it's not bad, but I was, I felt it was such a cop out. I felt it was such a, like, I was a letdown for me of like, Oh, this is what it is. Oh man. Well, let's just get that out of the way then. Um, the book, there's a, there's a physical book in our movie, scary stories that writes itself. And that's kind of what's tormenting our kids. And you come to find out there was a, there's a girl from the past who died tragically and was blamed for the murders or not the, I'm sorry the deaths of people in this town right they said so, that if you you went to her wall she and asked her for a story she would tell you a story and it's the last story you'd ever hear and yeah. you would die her family locked her up and you could go into the house and you could ask her for a story she'd tell I you think a you were outside story. the house Oh, outside the house? Yeah, so like there's a, an exterior-facing oh. wall. She sat on one side. The kids would I thought they to the said other you had side. to be inside. I was like, why are they just letting these kids in this house? And I was like, that's <laughs> fucking weird. Don't do that. But yeah, and she would tell you a creepy story, and then you would die, disappear, whatever. And then the stories would write down in this magic book. Yeah. 
And Sarabello's family, they basically founded this town with a paper mill. And Thunder Mifflin paper. <laughs> our characters, uh, to wrap it back into the plot, are getting ready for Halloween. And there's a kid named Tommy who's just an absolute dickhead. He's like, you know, your letter jacket, football playing yeah. asshole that picks on all those that are younger than him. You're a very classic, like, bully yeah. character. I like forgot you could drink in high school back then. 18. He's, yeah. he's drunk as fuck, like, right out the gate. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, and he's out in his... He, he lives on a farm, and he him and his buddies are out there beating the scarecrow named Harold. That's how we're introduced yeah. to this Yeah, very guy. resilient scarecrow. They're drinking yeah. and beating the hell out of this scarecrow. And poor Harold... Just getting the shit kicked yeah. out of him. He's the scarecrow. It's a real ass whooping. And they hop in the car, and then it's trick or treating time, right? right? Nighttime. Everybody's on the street. And I guess the theme, like historically, every year he drives around and steals everybody's candy. And so this year, our protagonists have a fake candy uh, sack sack that is filled with dirty underwear. No, Actually, it's, thought, it's poop. It's the shit. No, because he throws the shit. He lights it on fire and throws it. Oh, the bag has. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the one of the jocks that grabs a bag out of their hand says something that affects. Oh, gross! Old man underwear yeah. or something. Oh, like that. So, so the yeah. sack is. So he drives by. They like are like, okay, now let's do it. Uh, they put the sack out. He steals the sack, opens it up, makes and fucking. Then they set this bag of shit on fire and throw it into their car. And that's what Chuck was doing with the net. He was fishing his own yeah. shit out of the toilet to put in this bag to light on fire and throw it Which at Tommy. I think they hoped was going to land on the car, but it landed in the fucking car. He throws it right in the fucking car in this dude's lap, in Tommy's yeah. lap, and it's like his crotch is on fire. Yeah. I mean, they do not make nearly a big enough deal of the fact that his balls and dick are burnt to a crisp. Yeah. And he swats himself out and now he has shit all over him. Yes. Now and he crashes his car too. Yeah. And he, he backs into a fence. So I got to be honest, dude, this Tommy guy being pissed at these is totally justified. hundred percent reasonable. <laughs> like what an insane thing to do to somebody. Uh, I mean, I know he's a giant dickhead, but like, you can only push people on. so far before. Yeah. No. You can't throw shit at people that's on fire. Yeah. And you find out that Chuck's sister, um, Ruth, it was supposed to go on a date with this Tommy character, so she's in the car with him. Yeah. So they start chasing him through the town, and they end up at a drive-in theater playing Night of the Living Dead. We meet our character Ramon here, yeah. who's an out-of-towner. He's uh, Mexican descent. It's very obvious that like he's out of place in this white collar or you know you know this little suburban sleepy town. Well, yeah. as as everyone's getting ready for Halloween, that the sheriff drives by the gas station where Ramon's getting gas, and he's all like. Where are you going? He's like, out of town soon. He's like, good. Like, kind of like, you don't belong here. Keep yeah. moving. It gives him this vague answer that I'd never heard before. He just goes, following the harvest. He's like, what? Yeah, I didn't know what that meant. Me either. I guess, yeah, maybe. I think it's a, a term for a saying for just like moving where it goes. Yeah, I didn't understand that. But yeah, but you can definitely feel the... Uh, the Tension. The racism, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, This definitely. poor kid. Yeah, it's very obvious. He's all like, you need to go. So, yeah, at, back and now we're at the drive-in, and they jump into Ramon's car. Yeah, Tommy chases him with a fucking baseball bat. Yeah, he's ready to fuck him up. Which, yeah, he's, he's going to fuck them up. In his defense, I mean, he, once again, barbecue dick. Yeah. <laughs> So. If he caught them, do you think he would have really like knocked him in the head with that bat? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I mean, like he's like a gentler version of uh, that evil kid from it who like was carving, uh, the fuck's his name? Yeah, I don't remember, yeah. but that's why Henry, I Henry, uh, yeah, Henry. Yeah, Henry. That's who I, th so I mean, yeah, I totally believe he would have hit them with that bat. Maybe not Stella, but definitely the boys. To get away from the Tommy and his squad, they jump into Ramon's car and he's like, who the hell are you? You know, and he's like, we're, we're hiding out, chill out. And we, that's how they get introduced, and they're playing Night of the Living Dead, and this is where you learn that Stella's big into horror, 
and, and scary stuff. Yeah. Now, Tommy and them sneak up and find them. and Because yeah, the at first all- they're hiding, and then they're like, oh, let's just forget we're being chased. And they <laughs> all just like sit up and fucking... And yeah. there's, a, there's a meet cue moment between Stella and Ramon where they kind of like bond over like horror movies yeah. and stuff like that. And the guys in the backseat, Chuck and Augie, are kind of like, the fuck is going on? And they're like, they're being kind of like typical dudes like, oh, hey, how's it going? We're yeah. back here too. And then that's about the time that Tommy knocks on the window with a baseball bat. Yeah. And he's trying to coax them out, but you know, they're not going to, I wouldn't leave either. But like, no. no, I literally thought Tommy was going to start smashing the dude's Me car too. right there. I thought, but that I guess there's well. too many witnesses, right? Yeah. Uh, because just moments later, all the uh, patrons of the movie theater, or I'm sorry, the drive-in theater, are like get out of the way. We're trying to watch the movie and they get escorted out. But yeah. one of the, the main points to take away from this scene is that Stella has a broken home life in that her mother had left her at an early age. And clearly she's having, uh, she's struggling with this and she blames herself because she gets out of the car and she's like tearing up after uh, yeah, Tommy makes fun of her. shit about yeah. it. Yeah. And her dad's very disconnected. Like he never fully healed from all of it. So like when we first get introduced to like, because during the everyone's getting ready for Halloween, it's a montage sequence. So we kind of see a little bit of home life of each person. That's when we get the whole like, be thankful the good Lord provided. And then we also see she puts down a TV dinner for her dad and he's very despondent. Um, so yeah, we, we have a clear idea that it's not just her mom leaving. It's her home life is just not stable. It was never repaired. Yes. Like exactly. It's been left in this. That's actually a really good way to put life. it, dude. That's a really yeah. good way. Cause yeah, Dean Norris, um, he just, he's just, like you said, on the couch, just doesn't even seem like he's there. Like, yeah. There's a line later on when she confronts him at the car and she's like, did you always work this much before mom left? And he's just kind of like, I have to like, like he doesn't know what else to do kind of thing. If I had to make a, a an assumption here, I think that he works so much so he doesn't have to deal with it. You know, it's yeah, like he's getting like away from at home kind of like dealing with the, right. The he doesn't have to side. confront it. So at this point, uh, all the characters are, or Stella says to something the effect of, Hey, want to go see a haunted house? So then yeah. they sneak over to the, uh, Bellows home where they get inside and they're looking around and Ramon finds a secret room that, uh, yeah. he just, I'm going to give this movie props for addressing my number one complaint. I'm always like, no one is just going to leave property like this fucking sitting around forever. And they're like, Oh, I think they're going to tear it down and build a mall here soon. I was like, thank you movie throwaway <laughs> line, but it meant a lot to me. Yeah. yeah, and they, <laughs> and it's it's funny though because like we also get an idea that Ramon is uh, very resourceful because it's it's locked up because Augie's like we should not be doing this we need to get the fuck out of here it's boarded up let's go and he's all like it's a big padlock on the door and he's like hey does anybody have a pen and that's when Chuck pulls out his naked lady pen. He's like, this is Lola. She loves me, and he's she <laughs> fucking breaks it. And then like Ramon breaks the the whole the 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 cap the cap off of it, and then picks the lock and opens up the Bellows house, and then they go inside. Yeah, and they discover Sarah Bellows' room. Yeah, which has apparently not been found by anybody. Somehow, you know, it was very obvious. There's a huge crease. Yeah, but. this probably moves and opens something, yeah. right? Because uh, in exposition, they say that she was locked up in a secret room or something right. like that. And they the, find that secret the, from room. From what we can tell in this movie, locks are barely a hindrance to anybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. He pulls giant, out a switchblade and he yeah. just picks the lock. Oh, no. Stella does. Stella does. Yeah. Yeah. There's these giant, massive looking locks and they pick them in like three seconds. They're like, boop, boop, done. Lock, lock technology's come a long way. Apparently. So, yeah. Back then, locks were merely an inconvenience. Yeah, at best. <laughs> <laughs> they were like a no trespassing sign. Like, they were optional. You Did know? you lock the door? No, but I put out a pot roast. It'll yeah. be fine. Same difference. <laughs> So while Ramon and Stella are checking out Sarah Bellow's room, upstairs, Augie and Chuck 
are exploring the upper levels, and Chuck is trying to play a trick on Augie. And he sneaks into a room and jumps inside of a giant, um, like, cupboard or a, a, a closet. A, a, a wardrobe. A wardrobe. There right. it is. A lion, I witch, and. Yes, I even thought, oh, is he going to go to fucking Narnia? And he pretty much does. Yeah. Uh, he goes to fucked up Narnia. Yeah. The door opens up while Chuck is in there, and he's clearly, no, like. he opens it because he's looking for Augie. Okay. Yeah, he yeah. cracks it open to see if Augie's coming. And what does he see? He sees a really creepy old lady and I guess a Doberman. Yeah, Doberman yeah, picture. Just staring him down, man. And uh, I don't think his mind could comprehend. I think the kid actor did a really good well, job the room, there. Well, because the room, let's let's paint this picture. Point, the room yeah. is like dark gray, not lit. It's covered in cobwebs. It yeah. is dusty. It's desolate. Yeah, think like Fallout 4. Yes. And then he goes into the wardrobe and then he opens it. He cracks it to see if Augie's coming. And it is pristine, lit, wallpapered. Red. It's red. And there, it's very fancy old Victorian style, like in-use yeah. house. Kerosene lamps on the, t- the dining room. Yeah. yeah. Side tables and, and this kid's like, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, he's like, holy shit. And then like, that's when the uh, the old lady in the veil kind of looks over him. And she's like, you need to run. This place is evil. Yeah, he shuts the door. He's like, what the fuck is happening? And this is one of the loud jump scares. Because yes. then Augie opens it. And then I think he thought, you know, then everyone screams essentially. And the kid's like, what the fuck just happened? And at that point, Chuck's like, we're getting the fuck out of here. Right. At this point, they hear Stella scream, guys, you got to come down here and check, check this, this out. out. Yeah. So they all go into Cerebello's hidden room, and that's where they discover the book. And she's like, oh, the stories are yeah. real. There they are. They're written down. And it's like, this is where she sat in the chair and talked to the kids from the other side of the room. And then Tommy shows up and locks him in the room. Yeah, what a dick. Yeah, Tommy and Augie's sister yeah. show up, and they and he locks Tommy locks him in the room, and, and Augie's sister's like, let him out. Yeah, Ruth is like, he, she's like, I'm going to tell the cops if you don't let him out. And he's like, why the hell would you do that? And oh, yeah, like, he... He holds the bat to threaten her, and he was like, why would you do that? And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with this kid? Oh, yeah. he's trash. Like, he is like, I'm like, someone needs to do something about this now. Yeah, I appreciate that Ruth stood up for her brother, but she should have recognized he's a fucking psychopath. He should have, she should, he should let him leave, come back, let him out. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we can assume at this point that Tommy has a reputation. Yeah, of being a psychopath. You don't just become like this yeah. on Halloween. Right. You know, as, as you said, he's drunk throughout the entirety of his performance in the film. He's <laughs> yeah. probably drunk every day at school <laughs> he probably picks on everybody there like he's a bully i don't know why ruth would ever agree to go out with him well she seems very vain and like oh he must be cool i guess they i guess he's supposed to be popular because he's on the football team he's got his letterman jacket he's got they, his little cronies yeah, yeah they don't build that up which is fine they need any more universe building but yeah, i we, think we, that's we're all the familiar message. with that trope ruth seems like the character that would go after the rich kid because yeah. Tommy is a farmer's son. You know what I mean? I don't know. That was anyway. a big farm. Maybe that, I mean, farmers make some money. All Getting, right. Having yeah. to deliver eggs on Halloween doesn't seem like a rich person's job. Yeah. Back to the, back to the room real quick though. Um, this is the part where shit like kind of goes off the rails. Well, he pushes because, Ruth in the room. Yeah. He pushes Ruth down the, the stairs and then they're locked in. But um, beforehand they're talking about the legend of Sarah Bellows and like all that stuff. And they say the secret, the, the trick is, is if you, if you walk up to the room and or you you come to the house and you say, Sarah Bellows, tell me a story. She'll tell you the creepy story. And that's when you disappear or die or whatever have you. So they're in this room. They're looking around. She finds this hidden book. Stella. Stella does. And she pulls it off the shelf. And she's like, check this out. And Ramon's like, oh, my God, that must be the stories they were talking yeah. about. And then she, as all the shit's going down, she goes, Sarah Bellows, tell me a yeah, story. I'm like, what kind of maniac tempts fate with this? Like, 
Yeah, and later on in the movie, she's like breaking down. She's like, this is all my fault. And they're like, no, no, it's not. I mean, it 100% fucking is her fault. I know Bloody Mary is not real, but yeah. guess what I've never done just to be safe? And that was not the time to do it anyway. Every, yeah. You have a bully who locked you in a room. Chaos has ensued. Yeah, Ruth got bit by a spider. She's making a scene, and you're over there like, hmm, I think now's a good time to also fuck with demons. Yeah, yeah. Let's read read this, this inscription to start the haunting, yeah. if you will. But I, uh, again, this is in the 60s, so they would wouldn't have that like common sense horror knowledge okay you know what i mean i don't just know yet. stories just are, stories have been knowledge. told yeah that's yeah. just like i mean we were afraid of the sun at one point okay we've always been like we've always known better than the fuck with things we don't or understand maybe figure out okay what are we gonna do now that we're locked in this fucking dungeon <laughs> to be fair though stella's like the, the kind of a cool creepy girl in the fact that she's not really scared of this kind of stuff she writes her own scary fan fiction sure. too she's so, more fascinated with it yeah so maybe this was kind of like a eh, I want to poke the bear. If she had done this before Tommy locked everyone in the room, it would have made more sense. Yes, I agree. I think the problem was the timing of the events is like now you have actual real life situation to deal with. Or does she say that? And that's immediately when the thing happens with Tommy. No, she says that. And that's when the ghost unlocks the door. Oh, that's right. The ghost unlocks the door. Uh, The ghost of what we're supposed to think is Sarah Bellows, which is um, conveyed by a dark shadowy presence that kind of creeps on the walls and then forms a, Sort of shadowy lady figure. Silhouette. Yeah, shadow figure. So, yes. the I uh, just said shadow figure twice back to back, so I apologize. (laughs) No worries. You're forgiven. So, the room unlocks itself, and then they leave. Um, And Chuck asked her, how did that happen? I was like, don't worry about it. And I was like, oh, no, you absolutely worry about that. He was like, oh, maybe Tommy came back and unlocked it. It's like, does that seem like what that... Are you reading the room right now? Like, (laughs) Yeah, Tommy wouldn't have done that. Uh, they make it back to Ramon's car and his car has been smashed up and wet back has been spray painted all over his yeah, car. Poor guy. Oh yeah. It's, it's messed up. So he ain't going where the harvest is anymore. No, no. he's stuck in this town. And Tommy's the one who did it. Absolutely. Right. Because Tommy is also, uh, in the, the drive in used that racial slur before at Ramon. So it's, you put two and two together. Yeah. So everybody goes to their respective homes. Stella goes home. Ramon's going to sleep in their basement. And Sarah grabs the book and she's thumbing through it. Well, she finds a story that's titled Harold and she rubs the title and it's wet. So it's like, how did this get here? I didn't see this before. It's so fresh that I can smear the ink. The ink smears. Yeah. yeah. And then we cut back to Tommy's farm and he's, he's coming home drunk. And the mom comes out and is like, you were supposed to deliver eggs to the Johnsons down the road. And he's like, what now? And she's like, yes, now it's like, who needs eggs at 10 o'clock at night? Right, I'd be even more mad. Like, not only did you not deliver my eggs, now you're waking me up to give me know, eggs. Like, like, what the fuck? Like, Tommy, I'm taking these for free, and I'm talking to your mother. Look, those yeah. almonds aren't going to make themselves, okay, <laughs> fellas? Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're Ghostbusters. So, and his car is still on because the lights are still on at yes. this point. Tommy's car is still on, and this drove me nuts because Tommy has a perfectly good car, and he chooses to walk those eggs through the goddamn cornfield. I assume that to get to the hen house, he hey, had to go through the cornfield. That's what I thought the travel field. was. Yeah, that's was my assumption. Like he had to go to the other part of the farm, and where the hens are kept was beyond the corn. Oh, field. it looked like he went like next door to the house was where the barn was. He got the eggs, and he was going to walk through the field with the eggs to drop them oh. off because he was all like, "Which way?" Like he was, it made it look like he was trying to find the farm on the other side of the field. Which I was like, "Oh, he's walking through the field because it's the closest point between." I mean, I can I can see that too. I just figured he was trying to get back to his car with the eggs. As someone who's seen the movie twice, Mark, uh, can you tell that was us? My, that was my assumption twice. <laughs> because yeah. after the incident happens, that's when he runs back to the house. Like, oh my god! So he didn't like he was going that way anyway. So, regardless of where he's supposed to be dropping these eggs off, he decides to 
dumbly intoxicated, walk through the fucking cornfield at night. And he knows you make a ride at Harold to get back to your house. He makes a ride at Harold and then he's back passing by Harold again. So it's almost like that, that loop. He's stuck in the loop of the maze. That is terrifying. If that was the whole story, he just wanders a corn maze till he dies. That would be terrifying. <laughs> oh, in and that'd of be, yeah, that'd be messed up. Yeah, but that's not what happens. No. What happens, he says, eat shit, Harold, again. Oh, yeah, unnecessarily. <laughs> Poor Harold's doing nothing to him right now. He passes by Harold, and now that he's stuck in the loop, Harold comes alive. And he's chasing him down the field. And what did you guys think of the Harold effect? Well, he walked past the, where Harold was hanging, yeah. and Harold's it's not a, there. It's a fence post, yeah. right? And, and chase like, is a well, strong word for what Harold's doing. Yeah. <laughs> he's Saunders. He's like Michael Myers chasing. Well, he's, he's still just, on the wood. Like, his legs and stuff are still being held apart by the wood planks. That was always very confusing to me, because it looked like he was two pieces tied to the stake. And then when he came down, obviously the stake was still there. So I didn't know how he all there was, worked. There was two horizontal pieces of wood holding his arms out and holding his legs yeah. apart. So he... He looked like he was like the flayed man from Game of Thrones. And those pieces are connected to each other. Yes. Yeah. I think they were like X'd out behind him or whatever. Yeah. So basically he's like pivoting on these wood pieces. So he's kind of like, you know, Humpty Dumpty in his way towards. Um, <laughs> it's very, I mean, it was scary. It was, it's, well it was creepy. Yeah. And um, Tommy starts running away, trips over a pitchfork and then just completely like devastates his leg, I guess, because he acts like it's the worst injury he twists he's ever. his ankle maybe. Yeah. But then he yeah. grabs the pitchfork. Smart idea. Stabs Harold. Not such a smart idea. He stabbed him in the wrong spot. Yeah. Go for the head. Always go for the head. Yeah. Stuck him in the stick where there was no meat to Harold. It was literally <laughs> just damage his, him. His wooden stuck spine. him in the stick. <laughs> nice. Uh, and and Harold's like, fuck this. Grabs it and stabs him. Yeah. Pulls the pitchfork out of his stomach, turns it around and stabs Tommy right in the gut. Yeah, and this is where Tommy is released from the corn maze. Yeah. Now, I almost, I have a note here where I talk about this because when he gets stabbed with a pitchfork to the stomach, there's no blood. And I was like, oh, did they edit out the blood to make this kid friendly? But then they immediately show why. It's part of the story. It's a magical stab. It's very confusing because I was like, wow, no blood. He's really not that damaged. He's still able to walk. Like, and then... And as he's running back to yeah. get to his car, he starts to transform into... He's choking, and, and he just he, you can tell he can't breathe very well anymore. And he starts coughing up hay. Oof. And by the end of this, he turns into a scarecrow. Yeah, as he's coughing up hay, he's choking, he's dying. His face is kind of like rotting away, it looks like a little bit. Kind of look like Harold's skin, like old fucking leathery type stuff. And yeah, he transforms into a scarecrow. But did he look like did he look like Tommy's a scarecrow? Or did he look just like Harold? He looked like Harold in Tommy's clothes. So the following day, Stella has read this story and noticed that Tommy's name was in the Harold story. Her and Ramon like go out to Tommy's farm because she's like, I have to see it for myself. I got to know. And they see that the cops are. Out yeah, there. she's kind of piecing into like, was this related? And they yeah. she has to go verify. So they go and they f- actually find Harold and it looks exactly like it did before, only now it has Tommy's letterman on it. Yeah. So yeah, he just turned into the scarecrow that was already there or it like absorbed him or something. Like there was never a second scarecrow. Well, that's the right. thing. Is, like, is Harold now free of this? Is Harold walking around like, all right, new lease on life. Is he like a normal person now or what happened? No. And that's, I guess, really give away the whole end of the movie. But I, I don't, we don't know that all these people actually died, right? They seem to yeah. mostly be absorbed. So Correct. it could be that Tommy's oh, just good absorbed point. Good point. into, you know, wherever everyone's the going. nothing. Yeah. yeah they're, they're off in some other plane. So Harold's likely off in another plane too, after he transforms yeah. Tommy into. Right. Or Tommy's off into that other plane when he got transformed. That was like, he, maybe he just blew away or something. We don't know, hmm. I guess, but. Interesting. 
So this is the point where Stella's now like in full, this shit is real, this shit is happening mode, and everybody else is like, quit trying to scare me, Stella, right? Yeah. And after this, they go back to school, and they're in an auditorium where a play is getting set up. It's Ruth's play. It's It's Bye Bye Birdie. Yes. Um, And Stella's like, listen, we went out there, we fucking saw Tommy's jacket, and Chuck is like, hmm, this is some creepy shit. Augie is like, y'all are crazy. We knew that uh, Tommy wanted to go to Nam. Maybe he just snuck out early and flew himself over to Nam overnight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he's like, I'm not listening to this anymore. And they go about their different ways. And then it's like nighttime, essentially. Yeah, Augie's like, I'm going to dismiss everything character. Yeah, exactly. He's he's not buying it. But that's when Chuck finally fesses up about what happened in the closet, yes. like in the, the wardrobe. He was like, uh, okay, hold on. Last night, I was in this fucking red room. This whole thing happened. And so Chuck's kind of on board. He's like, yeah. he's at least willing to entertain the idea. Stella and Ramon are convinced at this point. And then everyone kind of splits and goes their own way. Ramon is like, I want Stella to be my girlfriend. So I'm just going to yes, sir. I don't think he's fully <laughs> on board just yet till the next scene. Um, he's just like, yeah, I'm going to accept okay. Jesus. <laughs> he's entertaining the crazy. <laughs> right. Because one of my, like, mo- to me, one of the most believable things, he was like, look, I can't go see the scarecrow. I can't get mixed up in the cops. So I was like, no, I got to go. He's like, all right, guess we're going. And it's like, all the things teenage boys will do for love. Well, and that's one of the things, too. We, there's, quote, there's unquote, a, love. quote, unquote, There's love. a quick scene where they take Tom or uh, they take Ramon's car into the shop to get it fixed after being destroyed and having it, you oh, know, yeah. destroyed. And, um, the sheriff shows up and he's like, I thought you were leaving. And he's all like, I was planning on it, but I get my car fixed. And he's like, I heard you had an altercation with Tommy. And uh, so he you, probably did you this to your car. probably stick around for yeah, a couple of days. Yeah, why don't you stick yeah. around for a couple of days until we find out where Tommy is? Because the sheriff thinks Ramon did this because the sheriff's racist. Yeah. And he, of course, just thinks the, the foreigner did it. And so um, Ramon's on board for hanging around, but he's hanging out with the people he knows, which is Stella. And I, you're definitely right. He definitely likes Stella. So uh, there's a yeah. lot of like, sure, we'll go. Yeah, exactly. He's just like, whatever you say, Stella. <laughs> so after the auditorium, she goes to put the book back and then they end up everyone at their own houses and Ramon's there and he picks up the book and he's looking at it, seeing it write itself. And she's like, where did you get that? And he's like, it was right here on your dresser. Yeah. And she's like, what the fuck? I put that back. And that's like our first clue. Like, okay, you can't just get rid of this book. Like it is now part, it is tied to Stella. It is now part of the plot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It has plot armor. Can't just go put it back. Is yeah. yours. And then the book starts writing Augie's story right, right. in front of him. The and you toe. watch the words being written in. And she drops it on the ground. So Ramon finally sees it for himself. He's like, oh, shit. And that's where they start tearing out the pages to try to stop the story. Yeah. But it just, it continues on the pages beneath. And like Garrett said, exceptional effect. It looks so good. Like, I was like, I was genuinely creeped out by that effect. And it's such an innocuous little thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, I wonder what would happen if they ripped all the pages out of the book. Or was it growing pages? I think it's one of those. Yeah, yeah. you cannot rip all the pages yeah, out. Like, there would just enough. be more and more and more. Um, so they It'll go into reprints, <laughs> second edition. <laughs> so they use the walkies, and they're like, "Augie, Augie, don't eat anything. We're reading a story right now. You're about to eat a toe." And he's like, "There's nothing here. Oh, what's this stew in the yeah. fridge?" Yeah, no. He goes home and he's on the phone with his parents because Augie's parents are completely off MIA. The, yeah. yeah, they're just like, we went on vacation. He's like, well, thanks for telling me you and Jeff. And she's like, that's your father. And he's like, I'll never call him my father. And he's like, I'm hungry. You could have bought food. 
He's like, well, I'm just going to eat this stew. And they're like, we didn't make stew. And he's like, well, someone made this yeah. stew. And he doesn't, it doesn't fucking at all question it. This is, this is the thing I turned around after the movie. I was like, if I'm in my house and mystery food has been made, it is yeah. in my fridge, the first thing I do is grab my axe or my bat and I go check every fucking room in my house yeah. because someone came to my house, made fucking food, and then left. Yeah. And I'm not messing with that food. At least they left leftovers. I don't care how hungry I am. I will avoid eating mystery food. Yeah. I mean, but also in August's defense, he's what, 16, 17? He's hungry. Yeah. He's uh, hungry. 16, 17 is prime stupid age for boys. So, But as your friends are yelling, don't eat the stew. And then oh, he's just such like, a dick about it. Yeah. Like, come on, man. As they're telling him the story, he's still chewing the mouthful of food. I'm like, stop yeah. eating until they finish their sit. Like, clearly it's like, hey, don't eat that donut. Okay, well, tell me why I shouldn't while I eat this yeah. donut. It's like, yeah. I mean, this is by far the weakest setup of any Either of the stories. Either get on the fucking trolley or get off. It's <laughs> like, there's no middle ground. This is eating dude. cold fucking stew. He puts it on an oven or on a stovetop I mean and three seconds later he's eating it it's not a fucking microwave bro he just like, eats it out of the pot cold yeah cold out of the like what yeah. a disgusting even if it was real stew it would have been gross and they keep yelling at him like there's gonna be a voice and he's like the only one talking is you two and he's just like, like at that point he takes mouth. a he takes a bite and there's clearly a toe in that bite and it's in his mouth at this point yeah and they start telling the story it's like and then this person's missing a toe and they say give me back my toe give me back my son <laughs> That's when he actually hears it, and he pulls the toe out of his mouth. Yeah. Which, I guess, shouldn't that end the story? I don't remember how the original story goes. Don't they just want the toe back? He says, who has my toe? Well, he didn't eat the whole toe, but he ate some toe. Oh, so yeah. there, he still's got a piece of that toe in his It's a leprechaun situation. He ate the gold. Now it's in his belly. Oh, yeah. man. So he, he's running to his room. He's hiding under the bed. And, and there's a pretty, I think there's a pretty tense scene here. Yeah, the story. And once you get past the stew bit, it gets a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> once you get past the stupid. Once you say it's stupid. Oh, man, you beat me to it. I was about to make that same joke. <laughs> oh, you said stew bit. Stew bit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was about to say stupid, and yeah. then you were like, you got it out there. Well played, sir. So he's hiding under his bed, and we see the shambling corpse, uh, which, again, we've noted that the prosthetics on this is very well done. Looks just like the creature in the book. Yeah, it kind of, he's under the bed. He's looking all around, 360, looking yeah. to see if there's- I don't understand why he couldn't open the window. He, like, fucked with it for, like, three seconds. It was like, I give up. He Cerebello's magic. Oh, okay. I'm gonna. You break that window and jump through. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go. You with, axle fully that shit. If you okay? tried to break the window, it just makes a new window. It yeah, just yeah, makes yeah, a new yeah. window. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sarah Infinite Bell's windows. magic. Good point. So Hand he's looking at, around under the bed. He doesn't see the feet. He's like, I guess I'll get out. He climbs out. Now this is one thing that I really appreciate is whoever did the cinematography. This was like think like a kid. Yeah. And as you're crawling out from under the bed and you look above you, you can't see on top of the bed. All you can see is like the edge of the, the the footrest, not the footrest, but the footboard. And so he has to kind of pull himself up to see what's on top of the bed. And the camera angles I used took me back to an age of like climbing out from underneath something and not knowing what's above you. Like they did a really good job of like conveying that. And then she yanks him from under the bed. Yeah. She jumps on top of him. You see the woman's face and it's that creepy, thin woman-y face that's in the, the gamble art. I That's what did it for me. That was the point of the movie where I was like, and lights will be on in my house tonight. Like, <laughs> it's very that, creepy. That messed me up. And then she pulls him into the dark shadows of underneath the bed. And then, boom. Yeah. Through yeah. the wall. And he, and he scratches fingernail prints uh, as he's being drug away. And then Stella and Ramon bust in at the last second. Well, it's too late, right? Yep. And they move the bed and they can see the claw marks just going straight into the wall. Also notably, no blood. 
This is a bloodless film. Again, you had it. You had yeah. to get that PG thirteen. Yeah. yeah, I think the creepy imagery and then blood would put this at a put higher. It, pushed it over. So the next day, Ramon and Stella are hanging out at the drive-in movie. Yeah, and Chuck and his sister Ruth show up and Chuck and Ruth. Yeah, I think car. like Stella called like a meeting. Right, it's yeah. time for the, uh, the losers to club to get shit. together. We need to yeah. call the heads of the five families. <laughs> it's like we've lost Augie. We're down a man. This yeah. shit is happening to us, and we need to figure out how to stop it. And like Chuck really couldn't re- fucking comprehend what was happening. He's like, "Well, we got to go find Augie." Obviously, she's like, "Dude, I'm trying to explain to you." Augie got sucked into a fucking wall, and Chuck, Chuck is just like, "Let's go so, get him." Yeah, we'll he's got to be gonna, somewhere, right? Yeah, just go in the wall and grab him. I don't know what's the problem here. And Ruth is like having none of it. She's like, "I'm going to be late for my performance. I got to get home." And she has a tiny little pimple on the side of her cheek at this point, right? And and uh, Chuck is giving her a little bit of shit about it, you know, brotherly shit of kind of like, you know, like, "Oh, you're going to cover that thing with all the paint in the world, yeah. zip paint, pimple yeah. cream." Or yeah, and um, she's like, "I can't deal with this. I'm going." And he's like, "Ruth, don't go." So the kids are left at the drive-in. Ruth goes home. Right. And, and then we cut to the, the play, right? Almost. Yeah, they're there's, like, there's let's one, burn it. Yeah, they, they take oh. the book and they throw it inside a, a, a <laughs> and trash I, can. I give them that. These kids are trying all the right shit. Right? I have a note that I wrote down in the theater. I was like, there we go. Fix everything with fire. And then yeah. my note right below it says, oops, never mind. <laughs> I respect them for trying. They're like, you know what? We can't return it. Let's burn it. They burn the book, knock the can that it burned up over, and the book is completely in the ashes, unfazed. They didn't really give it enough burn in time, though. I think we were supposed to assume that it had been. Like yeah, I think minutes. it was. Oh, uh, okay. It yeah. felt like it was pretty instant, yeah, which yeah, yeah. you could still tell that when the book wasn't charred, wasn't anything. So I, I think mean, the ashes around it, they yeah. got poured out with it, were kind of uh, indication. It's like everything else burned. This should have burned by now also. But yes, they can't burn the book. No. And that was like, whoa, like that really sunk in too. It was like, wow, this, you are really saddled with this thing. So now we cut to the, we got to figure out what's going on moment of the movie. So they all hightail it to a library. Uh, the newspaper office or newspaper office. Yeah. Yeah. So they're digging through old microfiche and, and newspaper articles. Yeah. And And it would have, it would have ruined the movie, but I really was hoping for like an, uh, a sixties, like poppy theme song, like my little baby loves a dinner sugar (laughs) dance. Like as they fucking research, like something kind of fun to kind of like break the tension. But again, it would have ruined that entire moment. You wanted a montage? Yeah, I would love the montage. Every movie needs a research montage. montage. I would have loved to have them go there and have like, um, fucking, uh, Ramon be like, we're in like after, <laughs> after hacking the typewriter. No, um, it'd just be some lock on a box and, just, <laughs> and he opens the lock with a switchblade. It's like, I'm yes. in. But uh, yeah, they're researching the bellows. Microfiche scenes in, in, in old movies are internet Google scenes in modern movies. Oh yeah. Like, they're, they're all sliding by. Yeah. <laughs> like sliding by the screen, all these old fucking articles. And we need our characters to learn the history of this thing. So how are we going to do it? Right. But there is something great about creepy microfiche. Like it really is fish, fish. Eesh. Sorry, not fish. <laughs> fish, microfish, <laughs> like guppies. If also you will. creepy. <laughs> um, it's here we learn about the Bellows' backstory and kind of her being kept in the um, the base or the secret room, and they find out that she had some sort of albinoism, and I forget what exactly the yeah. term was, but it's because she looked different. That's why she was kept secluded from That's the rest the of the world. That's what the said. newspaper said. That's so what we were led to believe that she was kept hidden away because of her quote unquote deformity. Right. They even it's, clue you in that that's not the real story because Chuck's like, oh, if it's in the paper, it's got to be true, right? And it just like hangs out there. That's back to that whole like truth of stories, right. truth of facts. And then they uncover a name of a maid that had worked there when Sarah Bellas was a kid. Her name was Lulu. 
And there was a story about voodoo or something in the newspaper saying that. Uh, yeah, what a weird fucking story, <laughs> Black man. magic. And yeah. I was, and <laughs> the person I was sitting next to was like, I think that might be racist. And I was like, because <laughs> yeah, the, the Lulu was a, was an African-American. And, uh, and it was like, oh, I guess that's why they, maybe they, I was like, that is kind of a little bit on the nose. They find the name. They're like, oh, what's the guy's name? And it's like some weird fucking name. And he's like, wait, this I seen that name before. Dotard or something yeah. like that. And, uh, and they're like, oh yeah, Doddard's in the story here. And uh, Diodat. 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 Yeah. Dotard is an insult. Uh, and uh, you realize that the stories that of, of previous deaths and crazy right. stuff are about her and family members. New, oh, and then they're also eating while they're doing this, and Chuck spills ketchup on himself. And a new story starts getting written in the book called The, the Red, Red Spot. Spot. And Chuck's freaking the fuck out now. To be fair. Right. Go for it, man. You are you are well within your means to freak out because he's got a red spot on his shirt. And that's when it starts writing and they see, oh, Ruth's name shows up. And they're like, oh, fuck, this is Ruth's story. She's next. Now, so I they, do want to, before we jump to that part, I do want to hammer home that the, all the names in this previous scary stories is Sarah Bella's family members' names. That's where they all vanished to because there's a part where they're, they're like, oh, everybody moved out of town. And, and Ramon's like, no, man, they just up and gone. vanished. They didn't sell the paper mill, nothing. They're just gone. Harold Isabellos. Is he? The Scarecrow. Oh, see, I missed that. Oh, really? I believe so. I oh. believe the original Harold was one of the brothers. Oh, At least that's, right. that's what I took away from it. I'll give you that one. Because I kept looking at it. I was like, where did they get such an off-putting face for that Scarecrow? It is a fucking terrifying Because it looks like a mummified leathered football of a human face. Yeah. Almost like a leather face. Oh. oh. So yes, they, they the red spot story starts writing itself and they look at Chuck's shirt and he's like, oh shit, I'm next. And yeah. he's like, wait a minute, I'm not a girl. Yeah, <laughs> he looks yeah. out the story and it's <clears throat> Ruth. So now they are uh, hightailing it to the school to uh, intercept the story getting Ruthie. Oh, and this is the worst And this story. is one of the most cringe-inducing parts of the movie. Not yeah. so much scary, just disgusting. Yeah. We're, we're backstage and Ruth is getting ready to start the play with everyone else and her pimple is now the size of like a fucking like golf ball. Yeah, and she's just slathering makeup on it and it's not working. She tries to hide it with her hair. It's huge. And every, and then one of her friends like, you've got to do something about that. And I was like, yo, calm down. Right, and like, then she, she walks knows. to the most, like, the most distant bathroom that she could possibly find. She does run off down the hallway and we're at school. We're at school right. for this play. She goes to look at it and she's like kind of touching it and poking at it and this little tiny black hair like Ugh. thing comes out of the pore and she's poking at it and, and tapping at this point, it. it's like the size of her whole fucking cheek. Yes, it's massive. It starts to move underneath the surface of the skin. You can see movement. And so she pulls on this hair and it just bursts open. Well, it kind of flinches. Like yeah, it, you, you realize flinch. it's a, it's a insect like leg at this point. You're like, what the hell? And that's when it like busts open. She's covered in tiny little spiders. Spiders are pouring out of this Ugh. gory face. Wound. Fuck spiders. Fuck pimples. Bug everything about this. <laughs> Dr. Pimple MD. And then this yes. is where our crew busts into the bathroom and find her. And they just, I think Chuck grabs a, a janitor bucket, like a, a mop bucket. Yeah. Well, they're trying to brush him off and it's not stopping. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's thousands. Right. There's thousands of these things and coming so he, out of Then he face. finds like a dirty mop bucket and throws the water on her. and uh, Which and washes them away. And at that exact moment that Stella looks against the wall and sees the shadowy figure of Sarah Bellows there. And she's like, it is Sarah. She's here during these things. And that's when they decide they need to like deep dive into this. And right. I think that's when they go see Lulu. Ruthie goes to the hospital. She's down for the count, but she's not vanished like the other two. No. Because they stopped it. 
So that's when they're like, hey, this, this woman named Lulu, she was a maid in the house when Sarah Bellis was there. Let's go talk to her. They show up, and it's an elderly African-American woman. Looks like she has blindness. The way they introduced her via the like shot, they slowly panned. I thought it was going to be Oprah. And I was so stoked. I was like, Oprah! I was so like, I was like, please tell me Oprah did a secret cameo for this like Tom Cruise did in Tropic Thunder. Uh, Stella finds another music box like the one she found inside Cerebella's room. She winds it up and it starts playing the same jingle. Yeah. And then that's when Lulu starts singing the song lyrics, which was pulled out of one of the stories called the Hearst Song. So those lyrics is an actual story from the books, which I thought is pretty cool. Yeah, it was really well done. Um, that's when we get the idea that, like, look, it's not black magic that has done this. It's the rage of someone who has had something bad happen to them or, you know, a victim right. of atrocities, right? Or blamed for something, and this is She's kind of what- angry about something, and she's taking it out on people, which... While that explained it, I also, to me, that cheapened it a little bit because then I was like, well, then how did she learn how to do yeah, this? Yeah, it doesn't explain How did anything. she get these powers to be able to tell these stories and have them take hold? Through black magic voodoo. It, but that's the thing. It's like, they didn't explain that. And at this point, I was already on board for the film, so it didn't ruin it for me. But yeah. I definitely wish they would have had like a little bit more of a maybe thought out like, oh, through her rage, she decided to like study how to get her revenge or you know, some little like line that kind of lets us know like, she manifested powers. It was very much like Samara from the ring. Suddenly she just gets killed and it has the ability to fuck things up. Oh yeah, just another ring. Man, rage. Rage is a cliche, I guess. So we find out that Lulu did in fact give her the book though to write her stories down. Right, her rage and stories. Lulu's daughter gives our characters the information that no, Sarah Bellows died inside of the uh, mental, mental hospital. Right. So that sets our characters on our next uh, plot point. We're going to the, uh, the insane asylum to find out what happened to Sarah. And this place is a small college campus. Like they show the building. I was like, oh, that's kind of a quaint little 50s like mental place. And then like they pan up, like they crane shot up. And I was like, this is 40 acres. <laughs> it's like, good God. This is where we house our crazies for the entire state, I guess. Which I guess Mill Valley has a lot of fucking... Right. It seems like a small town to have an insane asylum. I think this was like a bus right away. Mark's right. I think this was like for the state. They yeah. bus them to this area because they did take a bus to get there. Yeah. yeah. I think it's out at the city limits for sure. Right. So they're getting in and they're like, hey, we'd like to see some patient records. And the nurse is like... No, you idiots. That's yeah. not how this works get at all. Bent. I really <laughs> thought they were just going to be able to see him. I was so happy when the nurse was like, what? We don't give out patient records. Like, what the fuck are you Stella's talking about? like, well, she's probably dead. I mean, she is dead. It's 100 years ago. I don't think anybody's going to mind. And then they're like, the doctor comes in. He's like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, it's a school project. We're looking up some history records. And she reads a word off the wall that's like mental psychosis or something. We're yeah. doing a paper on mental psychosis. And then she hands him like a form. is like six weeks processing time. And then for no reason at all, the doctor's like, oh, yeah, I think all those were moved to the red room. Yeah, and that's where Chuck's like, okay, guys, I think she's going to use the red room against me. I'm not going with you. Go by yourself. And Because um, he's been having this reoccurring nightmare about the, oh, I'm in a room, a red room, and this lady's like, run from here. This is an evil place, kind of as he saw in the wardrobe. But he makes sure to remind the audience about this. He's like, I'm going to die in a red room. Yeah, so he's like, I am not going in there. I'm staying out here. They're like, all right, chill out out here, but don't get caught. Yeah, and then... Where the fuck is he go? He's just going. Yeah. Like to nowhere. Like he should have went outside. We're on a road to nowhere. They're like, stay here. Don't get caught. He's like, got it. Take the elevator to the top floor. Like what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go hang out on the roof. Yeah. Surely no one's out there. There's like some orderlies out there. And that's the best place to be. He's outside surrounded by orderlies. Hang out there. there. Like, hey, what's going on, guys? Give me one of those smokes. But no, he 
runs into the other part of the hospital, yeah, and that's what that rises suspicion. I mean, I don't want Chuck, you know, anything bad to happen to Chuck, but Chuck's a fucking idiot. All um, he had to do was find a bathroom or somewhere. I'm going to cut Chuck a little slack because he knows at this point, this is on me. This is my fair. time. The Red Room is my story, and he's like, got to get the fuck out. But he owes a duty to his friends to be a lookout. If you're not going to go in, yo, Popo's coming. He had permission, John. He's allowed to go. But then he doesn't leave. He goes to the roof. Look, if we're all slowly getting killed off one by one by supernatural spirits, I don't owe y'all shit, okay? <laughs> Except well, maybe you, Mark. I owe you five bucks. Okay, thanks. But don't forget, we'll know who's coming because our names will be on the paper. True. In the true. story. But only it'll be too late. Which one of us would take the book? Oh, we're all looking at each other like Mexican standoff style here. I'm going to say it's John. I'm the first to go, so I can't take the book. I mean, if it says like lost Spider-Man issue, I might open That's it up. That's how to get you? If, there, if it's like, you know, like secret script to yeah. Jaws 17, I'd be like, I got to know. Action I'm Comics sorry. number one in a jumbo <laughs> size. <laughs> so Ramon and Stella, they make their way into the records room and they... Um, I'm holding open the scary stories with the white lady we're about to talk about and it's creeping Garrett out, so I'm going to... Angle the book towards John. Um, Fine with me. They find records of the Cerebellas very fast and easy. It's just a whole box just sitting there. It says Bellows on it yeah. in big bright letters. And they find what is, we come to find out, is a wax cylinder. Right. Now, John, you seem to know a lot about wax cylinders. I don't know a lot. I know enough to know they don't pump out high quality 30 minutes of audio. <laughs> also, that if you were just given a wax cylinder, I would love to know how Ramon... Just knew the exact thing, how to set it up. I mean, these Ramon's are a pretty smart guy. Devices. He's resourceful. Don't yeah. forget, he's been very resourceful. Maybe so he's, he's familiar with hundred-year-old audio a lot of TLC. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know how he came about the idea of he knew how to operate that. Right, and they hold. They held like three minutes of audio tops. And if you go Google or, or the Wikipedia and uh, select wax cylinder, you could hear how fucking terrible it sounded. Imagine like an AM radio coming through a tin can. That's what a wax cylinder it's sounds like. It's a movie, guys. Sure, it is a movie. But still, this wax <laughs> cylinder thing, we got to break it open. Breaking it down here. I'm telling you, I'm bringing you the deets about wax cylinders. <laughs> iTunes remastered wax cylinders. Right. They're lucky there was a player in there. Yeah, truth. They just happen to be in the the all equipment room. Right. Also, <laughs> yeah. I mean, wax cylinders are only like two years old when this lady was supposed to be. So this is a fucking cutting edge uh, mental hospital. Well, the Bellows had the money, so I feel like, and don't forget, Sarah Bellows' brother actually was one of the people that, one of the main doctors at this mental facility, so her family locked her up right in this facility. We learned that. Right. Giving her shock treatments, really trying to get yeah. her from spilling the beans. Why would they even holding, record this? I don't know. They were recording them torturing to her. To get their jollies off, man. <laughs> It's like, it was probably like someone came home. He's like, I got my wax cylinder. He's like, cool, let's let's hit play or record while we're shocking <laughs> our we, sister. What are we going to record? <laughs> yeah. It's like your parents when they got a video camera, they just recorded everything <laughs> for home movies. You're like, no one cares that the clock is going. <laughs> yeah, very lucky the cylinder was on file for yeah. sure. Um, but this is where it's revealed that Sarah was trying to expose a secret. Apparently there was mercury or something from the paper yeah, mill mercury. that was poisoning the water that was killing the people in the town. Right. 
So they locked her away to um, to hide that, and they kind of fabricated the story of like, oh, she was responsible. She yeah. killed the kids. Family yeah. family uh, cover up is what's going on. And the wax cylinder, you basically hear him trying to coerce a confession out of her while he shocks her. So that's what's on the wax cylinder. So you now have proof that she was a victim, and you hear the transformation of, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, it was the mercury in the water. And he's like, tell us what really happened. And she's finally like, I'll tell you. Right. Johnny was a dead man. You're just like, oh. No, well, she starts reading Chuck. Chuck's story. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Chuck's story. So out of this 100-year-old wax cylinder yeah. or whatever it is, starts reading out the, the story that uh, is happening to Chuck on and the I, other side of the hospital. In, in 1968 present day. Right, and Correct. I really liked it because the brother is like, who's Chuck? Or actually, I believe she calls him Charles. Oh, yeah. yeah. She yeah. says something else, but she's like, that's Chuck. And she busts the book open, and there it is writing it. Yeah. yeah, Stella does that. So then we cut over to Chuck, who's been running away from the orderlies, finds himself in a long hallway. An unlit hospital hallway. No, 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 no. If you run a hospital, you better have every fucking hallway lit. Number two, if you're not using a fucking section of the hospital, lock that shit down completely. I believe it's a magical hallway. It it becomes a magical hallway, but never leave your hallway lights off. And and I'm sorry, if I worked at a hospital and they were like, well, the lights are off in this hallway between three and four. And I was like, well, guess what shift? I'm not working. (laughs) Like I'm not going into an unlit fucking hospital. That shit's creepy as hell. Fair enough. It does uh, its job, but it drives me nuts when that's happening. I was like, light your fucking facilities. I would tell you that I would also do that, but when I was uh, like 18, uh, maybe 19, in my old college town, there was an abandoned uh, mental hospital. Was that, no, tuberculosis hospital. Oh, that's worse. Oh, yeah. TB. And I, me and some friends definitely broke into it. Well, breaking's a big word because it was a fucking run. We may have visited. Shit. You may have visited yes. the location. We crawled in through a window that had been broken open many years ago. Uh, one fucking terrifying. By some other kids. You don't know yes. them. They go to I different mean, school. Statue limitations definitely has to be over. <laughs> this is like twenty years ago. Obviously, I'm too stupid, or at least was so stupid that I went in there. Uh, it was fucking terrifying, man. That place was really creepy. Uh, And also, though, as is the norm, we totally got caught by cops because it was an obvious place. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Did you really? 100% got caught when we left because they were just camping out there because everyone who was 18 and moved to this town for the first time was going to this place to see it. Why didn't they just board it up? They did board it up. People just tear the boards down. It is destroyed now. They did finally just tear it down. Um... But yeah, they told, and they were fucking cops, man. They were like, we're only going to, if you this were any other day, we would have arrested you. But because it's a Monday or whatever fucking made up reason. <laughs> because it's Arbor Day, you yeah, fucks. <laughs> we're only going to give you a warning. Tell your friends that we camp out here. We're like, okay, whatever. Thanks for waiting until we left. They didn't, like, want, they didn't want to paperwork that boring no. shit. It's just uh, like me and two other friends. another occurrence down yeah. here at the, the TB hospital. But we definitely like... John and his friends leave. They get on the walkie and they're like, guess what, guys? It's open. Let's go. Oh, fuck <laughs> get I wish, down here. Wish we had walkies. We saw them. Like We saw with a flashlight. They were like looking for us. We're like, fuck, do we want to wait them out? But we obviously did not. Wait, so you ran into you the cops' arms? In? Well, we, we tried to sneak out. And I guess there are more cops than we thought. <laughs> there was two. <laughs> yeah, there was two. We miscounted. You are so bad at this job. The funny thing is when they finally caught us, like seven, they like started calling in backup. I guess they wanted to like really scare us because there ended up being like seven cops there for three of us. All of them just like with their fucking flashlights. And they were like, see these kids? We caught them. And we're like, okay, we get it. Like this is. You want to scare me? Send me back inside. But like, yeah. you got to spend the night in there. I'm like, <laughs> I'd rather go to jail. This show force is not working. <laughs> the cops were practicing catch and release apparently yeah <laughs> anyway 
So Chuck is he's he's now lost inside these creepy hospital hallways. The lights turn on red because the orderlies had turned on the alarm sounding that someone was intruding. And In now, a red room with white ladies. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so that's how that cream song goes. It's pretty close, though. So everything flashes red, and Chuck is realizing his fear is now coming into play. And you hear a woman's voice whisper, this is an evil place. Leave, flee while you can. And from the story, The Dream, uh, which I think was excellently portrayed in this movie, is we get the pale-faced lady with the black beady eyes from the books. You've seen her in the, the trailer, if you've seen the trailer. She's the very large woman with a weird smile on her face. It is... It's so off-putting. And this it's was the disturbing. one, this is the part of the movie that I think was the most effective for me. Like, this was the most creepiest part. Or the, really? This was the creepiest part of the film for me. I found one of the least creepiest. The lead up to, yes, when she actually gets to Chuck, I felt that was the least impactful. I felt the lady under the bed was the most impactful. But yeah, everything leading up to where he kept, because he would run down one hall, see her at the end, turn back around. And every time he'd go down a different hallway, she'd be incrementally closer and she'd be in every hallway. So... Every time he'd run back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, they closed the gap in until he was surrounded by these, until he finally had to just accept that he was going to get grabbed by See, the I, smiling woman. I feel woman. like the hug was so slow. He could have just sort of ducked out of the way, let them hug each other. But he, he just... I, maybe, he outran those orderlies. You can outrun this big old slow lady. Yeah, he could have Stay like, Puft Marshmallow Man of a lady. Sort of like dodged past her. I mean, he... Yeah, whatever. He He's panicking. I'll give him that. I also... I don't think you can escape. Right. I mean, well, I don't Once know. Once the story Ruth is written, well, okay, well, it still happened to her, right? She True. survived it. I would love if, like, he runs right past her and then Sarah Bellis is like, ah, nuts. <laughs> like, we missed him. She just starts shaking her fist in the air as he runs by. <laughs> would have got away with it, too. So, yeah, Chuck, and the thing, too, about this shot is, like, it's it's really up in his face. Like, you can see the panic. I think Chuck, the actor, did a very good he job. He did. I agree. He came into his own later in the movie because I was really, I was like, oh, this kid's acting as bad when the Halloween stuff was going on. But he got much better. I thought he was just doing a perfect, like, ninth grade kid kind of I think know, it's supposed to be 17 17 okay. they say this is our last oh you're right probably like juniors yeah. and some of them are going to Vietnam or whatever so they got to be seniors yeah. so he gets absorbed into the woman and Stella and Ramon run up right uh, this is a trend now right they show yeah. up right at the last second after the events already happened and they find his naked lady pen yeah I don't think they could have helped him though St Ruth was really the only one I think they could have made an impact on realistically yeah so I agree. So at this point, uh, they get caught. Ramon right, and Stella get caught. All of a caught. sudden, everybody in the hospital is in this hallway. Well, they were looking for they were looking for Chuck, so they're all in the, in the area. But yes, they kind of immediately close Converge. in on Ramon and Stella, and, and they're like, "You're in big trouble." Let's be honest. Sarah Bella's magic would not have allowed anybody to interfere with True, Chuck's. True. Maybe haunting. he was in a pocket dimension yeah. that was right yeah. next door to the real yeah. hospital, the upside down, if you will. So our last two get caught, and now they're at the cop station and the cop station, <laughs> the police station. <laughs> this part I had a real problem with, and not for anything major, but the fact that like she's making her one phone call to her dad to let him know like we got picked up by the cops, yeah. right? And she doesn't use that time because because the dad's already expressed interest like, hey, that Tommy boy went missing. Can you please come home right after school going forward? Because I worry about you yeah. getting home safe with kids missing. And he's like, where are you? What can I do? Like, what's going on? And she goes, dad, I'm afraid I'm going to die. And he goes, 
no, baby, don't worry about it. Just let me know what I can do. Where are you at? Like, and I'm just like, if your kid calls you on a phone and says, I'm worried I'm going to die, you better be freaking the fuck well, out. I think he didn't want, she was obviously in distress. Oh, he didn't he, want he to panic as cool. well. Right. Okay. So that, it seemed like he was like, cool, don't worry about it. We'll take care of this. No, and I, I was like, dude, you better react. I think he was like, when you saw him, he looked His visually distressed. He yeah. looked distraught. But, but he yeah. didn't want to like panic. Then there's just two people panicking. Um, but at this point, Stella has just been like, there's nothing we can do. We are all going to die. And he's so, like, where are you? Let me know. Yeah. I'm your father. I care for you. And she's like, don't worry about it, dad. Click. Well, no, what the point of the call was for her to oh. say, look, if you hear that I leave or that I disappear, I didn't leave you. I would never, cause I would never have leave you. Cause she didn't want her dad to think that, his wife and his daughter ran out. She's mm-hmm. like, look, I'm going to die. Like, there's nothing anybody could do about it. Just know that I'm dead. I didn't run away from you. Yeah. Click. Well, that's, that's when she says, like, I know mom left because of me. And he's like, no, it right. wasn't you. And you get the whole backstory of, like, maybe mom just wasn't prepared to be a mother and she left. But is that the real story? Are we to believe that um, she was taken by one of Sarah Bellow's stories? I think he, she just left Hank. Okay. Straight up, just like normal yeah. left. Because okay. it felt like he was just sort of winging that story anyway. I don't yeah. know. Maybe something's cool. wrong with your mom. So Who knows? we get the whole point of like, it wasn't your fault. But she, yeah. You're not the reason. She's like, well, everyone said it was. And he was like, trust me, that's not it. This is the real reason. And then she has that moment of kind of clarity of like, okay, cool. I'm not responsible for my mom, but it's too late. I'm fucked. I'm dead. And that's when the cop comes in and he's like, did you tell your dad to come pick you? Is your dad going to come pick you up? And she's like, no. And he's like, cool. I'm going to keep you guys here overnight. Right. Which is, I mean, wildly, I mean, even it's in a the small 60s, town, take them back yeah. to the house. You can't just arrest a minor and not tell their adults. Even in the sixties, you would have told their parents, like the fact they were willing to keep Ramon locked up and let her go. is like, they were both found in the hospital. Right. They were both. I, I mean, I, I thought they were going to put him in the same cell. We miss a part where Ramon, like is like I'm Ramon Rodriguez or something like that. And then you find out it's actually Ramon Morales and he's a draft dodger. Yeah, this comes up. It's like in the same scene. Yeah, essentially. this happens right now when the cop reveals like you didn't think I'd find out. You're a coward. Like he's really kind of like hammering home is like you should have done your duty because at this point no one knows. They, maybe they did, but it's not quite full escalation of the Vietnam War where shit is like hopeless. The draft is on, but yeah. it's definitely kind of like everyone's still like we can still do this because his backstory, he's like, I didn't want to go because they, my brother went and they sent him back in pieces. Yeah. And I'm like, would that they really happen. send like a person no. back in pieces? No. Here you go. Here's your pieces of your son. I was like, that's fucked up. They might send back like his medals or his yeah. uniform. I don't think they're just giving you whatever like they that. can find. Yeah. Like, we scraped them up in a sack and here you go. I mean, I was just like, when he oh. said that, I was like, I don't think they but do maybe that. It's like a turn of phrase. Here's his big toe. Make a soup. Yeah. Oh, well, I thought maybe he came back and had like a lot of mental PTSD type shit. And like, he was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to turn into that or something uh, like that. I, know, but I, I said, took away that he was dead and, and he was like, I don't want gotcha. to do this either. So I'm hitting the road. Should have gone to Canada, bro. Not to fucking small. Well, I think he was wherever. on his way to Canada. I think oh, yeah, he, that's he, where he was going. North? Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's like, that's was the, the goal. That's why he was going through Canada. Pennsylvania and cause yeah, it's pretty North. Yeah. All right. And, I guess uh, we don't know where he started from. So fair yeah. enough. I'll give you that. Stella and Ramon have spilled the beans of what has been going on to the sheriff at this point. He's like, really funny. Yeah. The sword, he like, he's holding the book and he throws it on the desk. He's He's like, like, you're telling me all these stories are coming to life. You can do better than that. And that's when he locks them up for the night. And then uh, the sheriff's dog is just staring daggers. Trigger. Yeah. You've seen the, this scenes in the trailer. Yeah. He's staring daggers at the fireplace and he's just like kind of growling a little bit. And then he runs off scared and the, the sheriff's like, what's going on? And then a head 
falls through the fireplace and lands on the ground and opens its eye. But I do like the cop's reaction. I think it's the most realistic well, the, I've ever the, seen. He's the, like, you've got to be fucking shit. My reaction is you got to be shit. Well, doesn't the cop see the book writing itself at this point and that's when the head falls down? They imply that he did, but they don't actually show him looking at Okay, it. okay. Because and, while this is happening, as the body parts are falling out of the fireplace and it's building into the jangly man, Stella's in the, in the cell going... Who's next? What name's written in the book? Tell us what's going on. To the let cop. us out. Yeah. Let us out. We're going to die in here if you don't let us out. And then he, she's like, what's name? Well, who is it? And he's like, Ramon. And then Ramon's like, oh, crap. This was a campfire story called The Jangly Man that scared the shit out of me as a kid. Yeah. This well, is he, what's says, he says the me toe walker or the whatever it is. Yeah. The- so he's the jangly man says me tie doty walker, which is one of the stories. That's what here. Ramon calls it. And I was like, I thought that was the name of the guy because that's what Ramon calls it. Yeah. Now, the jangly man it actually is an original story, but they they tied in that me tie doty thing. Uh, so they com- yeah, so they combined a couple different okay. stories to make this character. The I like the man. Jangly Man. He was creepy, yo. Now, as we mentioned at the top, this was done by um, a contortionist, and it's just so off-putting watching him walking around in that yeah. creepy makeup. Like, the Jangly Man has, like, a split jaw, so the two pieces almost move independently of each other when he's opening his mouth and talking. Yeah, he's yeah. split down his face. Like his yeah, face and Mark kind of hint, hinted at this, but he comes in pieces and then like combines himself like a magnet, yeah, apparently. Like, a, like an arm falls through, a torso falls through, yeah. legs fall through, and then like it reforms itself yeah. into like a giant fucking monster. It's crazy. Yeah, he, he looks like he's probably seven foot five or something when he's all put together. Yeah. And he immediately just snaps the cop's neck. Yeah, the cop freezes. He shoots the head, and the head it doesn't have any effect. I love that part where the head falls out of the, the fireplace, and he's like, oh, what the fuck? And then yeah. he just unloads with his gun into the head like, I'll fix this. Bam, 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 bam. And that's when the rest of the body parts fall down, and that's when he kind of freaks out. But I was like, that's a great reaction. Shoot that head immediately. Yeah, very. I love the... I actually think most of the people... I mean, besides what needs to happen for the plot to kind of move along, people reacted very naturally in yeah, this Yeah, they movie. did. They did. Yeah, so the jangly man throws the cop's corpse at them while they're in the jail cell and lands right next to Stella, and she managed to pick the keys off the dead body, right. unlocks it, and they escape. And Ramon's like... Go back to the house, tell Sarah that we know that she didn't do none of this yeah. and tell her the truth and this will probably, hopefully, maybe, maybe stop this. <laughs> Only the truth can stop this. Villain pro tip, don't throw keys next to your captive <laughs> uh, prey. Yeah, your victims are easier to get when they're stuck in yeah. a place. So Ramon jumps in the cop car and he's driving away to lead the jangly man out of uh, Stella's path. She hoofs it over to the house and she's like, Sarah, we know what happened. We know what really happened. And then Sarah like time jumps or she enters into a new story and it starts writing a self called the haunted house. Yep. So now it's like I said, like pocket dimension. She's in her own story reality. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like because we later see that the glasses of it. So this is some sort of time travel element to this as well, where maybe she's inhabiting Sarah's body. I think she's reliving the memories. Yeah. Because when Stella looks in the mirror, you can see Sarah's gray long hair. Yeah. As if it's her. Like Freaky Friday, like a vice versa. <laughs> yeah. So she's she's seeing what uh, Sarah went through whenever she was locked inside of her room. She's uh, being chased by the family. They're going to beat her with a bell. She's hiding from her because they're like, come here, Sarah. We're going to teach you not to tell, tell anything. And they're walking around with a the bell. They're going to beat the fuck out of her, basically, and then lock her up. And then she hides under the table. And that's when the the family, the Bellows family comes in and is like, and there's a little girl, a little um, little Lulu, little Lulu standing there, and they're like, "Did you see Sarah?" And she's like, "No." She's like, "No, I didn't." So Lulu covers for Sarah because she knows she hasn't done anything, 
And then they take Lulu out of the room, and that's when Sarah gets found. They lock her in the room downstairs, and that's when Stella... And as all this is going on, back in 1968 in the same house, the jangly man is chasing Ramon and trying to kill him inside the house. So there's a lot of parallels. They're in the same rooms, but in different times. And Ramon uh, runs past... Stella and yells out her name and she can feel like his wind kind of rushing yeah. by her face. Say my name, well Bastion. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very never-ending story. <laughs> yeah. So Stella and Sarah in the same room and Sarah finally manifests herself in front of Stella and she's kind of coming at her like she's going to finally finish off the job for stealing her book. And that's when Stella's like, we know it wasn't you. We know it was your family. I'll tell your story. I promise, you know, you're going to get your justice. And yeah. then Sarah hands her a pen. Well, she gives him like an high, ink pen. Yeah, yeah. Like well, to your point, he's really hammering this message. They're like, okay, yeah, your family was a dick to you, but you being a dick to other people makes you just as bad. Yeah, yeah. you're responsible for what's happening now, and all the death yeah. is and on you. Very age. much. If you're a victim, don't make others a victim. Yeah. You know, don't let your past traumas like make you as bad as that. I mean, that's a pretty good message, honestly. Yeah, like, not a bad message. They, they but really like hammer it, it out in like 30 seconds of like, get it. You're like, yeah, no, we kind of got it. Let's go. But um, yeah, and then she like hands the quill pen to um, Stella. Stella and she's like, use your blood. So Stella stabs her finger and writes um, like the Sarah Bellows' Sarah's story. Yeah, yeah, writes the real version of Sarah's story in the book, which ends the the curse of what happened. She has like right. a banshee scream, which kills the jangly Which man. was the loudest fucking thing I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. It was pretty damn loud. It yeah. was yeah. so loud. I was like, oh, this is unnecessary. Because I leaned over and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I didn't catch that. Come again? Uh, Sarah dissipates into the into the ether. Uh, the jangly man just falls over and, and like like the life force is sapped out of that uh, demon, if you will. Yeah. And Ramon is free. We kind of wrapping this up, right? Yeah. yeah. This is the end of the, the story. End, yeah. Ramon, like the epilogue. Ramon is going to go ahead and join the the army. You know, he's <laughs> movie chickened out here. They should have let him continue on his way to be a draft dodger. Well, the thing is, they they make it seem like we have to leave this place. Stella's like, I told Sarah's story. Some people believe me. Some people didn't believe me, which is bound to happen. And some people don't want to accept the truth. And back to that whole, like, what is truth? What yeah. is fact? Should have played like, the wax cylinder. And she's like, people, people will believe what they want. You know, that's the power of story. They can hurt or they can heal. Then you're going to get this montage of Ramon getting on the bus to go to Vietnam. And she's like, I'll write you every day. And then we cut to uh, Hank, not Hank from Breaking Bad, um, Stella's, Stella's dad. dad and then Ruth is in the back seat. We realize that she's recovered. She's got a big old stitch scar yeah. on her face. She's got from a scar on her face. Spiders Which is out. a twist because someone's like, oh, you didn't save anybody. Ruth is going to be in a mental hospital for her whole life. Uh, and yeah. then the twist is like, oh, Ruth is fine. Yeah, they tell the cop. They're like, well, we saved Ruth. Okay, yeah. And then he's like, no, she's all fucked up. She's going to be in a mental hospital forever. And well, he was you, like, oh. You assume when Sarah's powers dissipated that she comes out of whatever yes. state she might have I thought she she'd have regular old-fashioned PTSD. I mean, magical PTSD. Oh, she's still like, going to be messed up. I mean, you have that many spiders come out of your, yeah. your body. You're going to be like, guess what? I'm never getting over this fully. So interestingly enough, all the people that got sucked into the Cerebello's plane of existence didn't return. So Augie and Chuck are still missing. Yeah. And this is kind of leading us up to a potential sequel. So they're driving off in a car and you can hear Stella narrating over the, the film they're saying, gonna find them. we're going to figure out, I know the answer's in the book and we're going to, and she's got Sarah Bellows's book in her lap, which I was like, God damn it. Put it back. Like you're done. <laughs> you are done with this. Put it back. I understand Augie and Chuck are gone. It's a real fucking bummer. 
just stop. Stop playing with it. I mean, I respect that she's trying to help her friends, but I mean, you reasonably have to assume they're dead. Like, she has no reason to assume that they're not dead. Well, if it was Sarah that did this, how are you? Sarah's gone. How are you going to do this? Yeah, I also don't know what kind of power this book would hold once Sarah's gone anyway. But the rage supposedly powered it, right? Unless it's going to become like a buddy cop flick of Stella and Sarah back in blue or something like that, or it's back in black. But no, at least it's opening up for the path of getting more of these stories. I would like film. that, yeah. Because there was only four or five total in this in this movie, and that's probably, like you said, John, another one of these stories would have really kind of fleshed out. Uh, it would help the ratio. The a ratio, lot. exactly. Yeah. Which I wish it would have had. I would be. I would be interested to see how they do the overarching connective story for a part two. I mean, sure, it's probably gonna be like trying to get Augie and them back, but how do you delve into that without making it very as as we put it earlier? Um, not clip showy. Um, anthology. Anthology. E. You go into their universe. They're, the yeah. book's going to be introduced to new characters. They'll na- their names are going to start getting written to it. Who's doing it? Who knows? Maybe it's Sarah Junior or something. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe <laughs> she writes herself into these stories, these creepy stories, to see if she can find information about Augie and. If this movie like- had balls, Stella would die and start haunting the book. That would defeat her whole message. Well, we were, we were watching it. And <laughs> no, like, like, well, I wish something scarier would happen. And I was like, that dude went to Vietnam. I was yeah, like, that's, that's pretty scary, scary as fuck. Yeah. I was like, sorry. Yeah, the horrors of Vietnam. Can't really tell you how this movie's doing so uh, so far, but I think it made $20 million on its opening weekend. It, uh... So it's doing all right so far. There was a couple things that I really loved in this movie. There's a point where um, Ruth gets her fir- like first in- inkling of a zit, and um, Chuck is behind her. He's like, what are you doing? You're going to try to cover that thing up. There's not enough like zit makeup in the world. And she slams the door in his face and he's eating a banana. He goes, my banana. <laughs> oh, that was <laughs> like, funny. I laughed yeah, was so a, hard when uh, he was like, my banana. And then uh, there's also a part where Ramon's like, don't worry, this isn't your fault. And I remember like, I wanted to scream at the screen. It is absolutely yeah. your fault. Like, Big time. Her this fault. is on you multiple ways. You picked up the book. You asked for a story. Like you are responsible. And maybe that's going to be the drive for her to keep looking for her friends. I know you said that maybe Stella should just give up, pack it up, and go home. But maybe she feels responsible. Well, she should because she killed them. Yeah, exactly. But they are dead. <laughs> maybe she becomes Annie Wilkes from Misery. Ooh. That's, this is an Big origin crossover. story. I think the movie did a good job of portraying these stories on film. I would recommend it. I think, as we said at the top, we all recommend it. Yeah, even as someone who's never read the books, I like the movie. So I think if you say this is like a, a teen-level horror film... Yeah, YA, young adult, young, young adult. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah. what it is. I mean, I mean, Nancy Drewish. Like. I feel like I feel like Hunger Games had more violence in it, but it had less creepy shit. But yeah, it's along the same lines as like a a uh, not Nancy Drew, but a um, <laughs> kind of like a Hunger Games level, you know, kind of feel. Uh, I never saw that, so I saw one of them. I I'd think I saw the second one. I'd recommend this over <laughs> Hunger Games any day. What about Twilight though? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I almost Screw got kicked, I almost got kicked out of Draft House Hello, in the second ladies. Hunger Games. <laughs> Well, anything else to add before we wrap up? Nope. Okay. Spent. Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye.